Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Let's talk about what's happened since we were last on the air. Unfortunately, we lost a guy who had a great life, lived a long time. On New Year's Day, Don Larson passed away, the only man ever to throw a perfect game in a World Series. He didn't have the best career. He was under 500 as a starter. But Don Larson did something no one else has ever done, and that gave him notoriety. I remember seeing Don at the Baseball Hall of Fame at the induction ceremony in 1999. He was kind of crotchety then. I can't imagine what it was like uh, this past year, but our thoughts and prayers go out to Don Larson's family. Domingo Herman of the Yankees suspended 81 games for domestic violence. He will miss 63 games after serving 18 last year. Charges were never filed, but obviously Major League Baseball is taking this very seriously, and what their investigation shows, they don't care what the authorities had to say. 63 games. That is not good for the Yankees. The White Sox signed Dallas Keuchel and Edwin Encarnacion. So you get some veterans in there for your starting staff and your lineup. Dallas Keuchel can still win you games. Dallas Keuchel can still take the ball 30 times. Edwin Encarnacion can still hit you 30-plus. In that ballpark, Edwin Encarnacion could probably hit 40 in that ballpark. Ryu signed. We were not on the air when Ryu signed with the Jays. 
So Ryu signs with the Jays. He gets paid four years, $80 million. The Twins added two former A's starting pitchers, Rich Hill and Homer Bailey, which I thought, Commander, that was, I think, for where the Twins are. And by the way, what we're going to start doing every single show, we're just kind of kind of going to update you on every single team, starting from the worst record in baseball to the very best. So we're going to give you off-season reports. Our first will be the team that had the worst record, the Detroit Tigers. The second will be the, not the Miami, but your Derek Jeter Florida Marlins. And so we'll just be doing that every single show until we get to the Nationals. Other way around. They are the Miami Marlins now. They wore the Florida Marlins. Oh, that is correct. Sorry. <laughs> the hey, We're talking about the heyday of the Marlins when they were still Florida, when they won their the two World Miami Series. Miami Marlins. <laughs> And I got some key numbers on them where you just go, ooh. Cole Calhoun, who the A's faced for many, many years, is now a Diamondback. There was a lot of question about Dylan Patances, the Yankees. Guy has the ability to be a closer, his close games out, a weapon in the back of the bullpen. Just hasn't been healthy, and last year wasn't healthy at all, and it wasn't arm-related. Well, he's just switching New York teams. He was rumored, actually, potentially with the with the A's. I was all for that. You and I were talking about that. A little too much money for him at the end. Be right. Batances came back for one game last year and then got hurt again. So rough year for. So well, it was like Achilles. It was like I think he had yeah oblique. He had, it was an oblique, and then I think he came back and he hurt his Achilles or vice versa. But that's what it was. It wasn't a shoulder, an elbow, an arm. Yeah, anything like that. Psychological. It was it was an oblique. And and his Achilles. Then your Miami Marlins. I like these moves. Which, if you're signing with the Marlins, it's purely for money. It's the best. You're getting the best deal. Because you're not going down to Florida to get your ass handed to you day in and day out. If you had other offers with people who actually may have a chance at competing for something. So, Corey Dickerson and Francisco Cervelli have signed with the Miami Marlins. It's a great move. Two ex-part legends going to play in Miami. Dickerson's coming off winning. He won the, a gold glove two years ago. He actually wasn't bad last year. He platooned when he got traded to the Phillies, but he could still be a serviceable bat. A guy that raised his DFA and let go a couple years ago. Jose Iglesias, who one time was a top prospect, shortstop, was a part of a big deal has signed a one-year, $3 million deal with the Orioles. This has just – this the, the national thing has just come down, right? Yeah, and, uh, and Iglesias signed like an hour and a half ago. So these two are more recent. So let's give you this one because this one's been out, out here. Will Harris, who had a terrific year for the Astros last year, gave up the Howie Kendrick home run in the World Series. He signed a three-year deal for $24 million. He's 35 years old. Bye bye. Who did he sign with? You don't have it on here. I forget. Who's oh, the Nats. Sorry, the Nats. That. So he signs with the Nats. So he's at a division. Thank you. And then the Nats, Jeff Passan is reporting, have just re signed Daniel Hudson, who was a big part, closing games out for him. He was a, they traded for him during the season and was a big part of their World Series run. So that pretty much right there. Give you up to date everything that's happened in Major League Baseball, signing wise, 
since we were last on the air? A lot. I mean, a lot's happened. A lot with that. And uh, I mean, how many? What's who's America's team? I'm throwing this out there. The Cowboys have a new head coach already. They just fired Garrett yesterday. Already signed a new head coach. So you see how how everything's changing in the world after New Year, new everyone. New Year, new yeah. That that whole thing with Jason Garrett was so. They're meeting with Garrett on Tuesday. Now they're meeting again with him on Thursday. It's like, just fire the guy. You know you're firing him. It was either fire him or let his contract run out next week. It was like, oh, you know, Jerry Jones is so close. Just fire the guy. But apparently you were going to fire him and bring him McCarthy anyway. So that's what they did. Yeah, that, that was. But we still got NFL playoffs going on, which is exciting. But I, this year, I, I got a feeling. This year, I got a, I got a, I got a feeling about this A's ball club. We're going to have Fan Fest on the 25th. It's all going down. And it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So get ready for 2020 A's fans. And we're going to have everything covered for you right here on A's Cast Live. Here's a trend in baseball that's weird. White Sox gave Luis Robert a six-year, $50 million deal. And we're going to talk to a White Sox beat writer coming up here in a little bit. So you're giving a guy $50 million who has never played in a Major League Baseball game before. Now, it's not shocking that they did this because Eloy Jimenez did that. 40-something million the White Sox gave him. He had never played in a game. It's just... You're giving out guaranteed money to guys that you really only have to pay under 600000 for. Like I, 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 You're still – now, are you banking on the whole service time deal changing when the CBA is up? Are you banking that the system is going – the way – you know, because right now they got you for six years. They got you at minimum wage for three years. Then you go to arbitration for three. Then you're a free agent. But are these teams that are giving away money to minor leaguers, do they believe or are they hearing that, yes, the CBA is going to change? That is the collective bargaining agreement between the players' union and the owners, that guys are going to start getting to be free agents way earlier. Well, I think the biggest case study in this will be what happens with Chris Bryant and how that goes because we still don't know what's going to happen with him. Which that's even bizarre. Like, how, how's an arbitrator not ruled on something that happened five years ago? Yeah, and Bryant's still, what, 27, 28? I think he's 28. If not, he's 27. He's still in his mid to late 20s, and that's going to be interesting because we saw this – Last year, the big one last year was the Braves gave Ozzy Albies that deal five years for $35 million. And you're like, well, if you're Ozzy Albies, why are you taking that? But he's a guy that comes from a country where he had no money, never had anything. And now he's got $35 million And yeah. he's set for – if you don't screw it up, you're set for life. And he'll have a chance to, to sign make more. another contract. Ronald Acuna is a, gr- a good example, too. He signed eight years for $100 million, $120 million. That's a steal for him. Bregman got five for hundred, But the first guy to ever do this was Jonathan Singleton from the Astros. They gave him five year. It was a five year deal that could have been worth up to thirty five million. He never had any major league experience, and then we saw Scott Kingery get it with the Phillies. 
His was like, I think, 6 for 24. You got Evan White, who's with the Mariners, got his most recently this past season. He's in like double A. And then you have Eloy Jimenez got his deal, which was 6 for 43. So these guys are getting these deals before playing. And it's interesting because I'm with you. I think this is the way teams are going to start doing it. They're going to buy out those years early and just give you six years for $24 million But or- why would you do that if you got them for six years? I just think uh, – I mean, See, what they – They u- can't leave, so like, what's going to happen? I mean, what's going to happen? Because what they used to do is they wanted to buy up your free a- – they wanted to buy some of free agency. Come up, prove yourself. All right, you have a good rookie year. You have a good second year. All right, now we'll sign you to a six-year deal that it will eat up your arbitration and will eat up a couple couple years of your free agency. Well, now – if if you're giving a guy a six year under the current under the current deal, you just gave a guy millions of dollars and he's still going to hit free agency at the exact same time. I don't get it, but that I, makes to me it doesn't make zero sense. sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because you're already paying those guys. And I mean, you're not paying them anything. They're making under a million dollars. Most no, likely. they're making under. The, the, they're like five hundred thousand. The minimum last year was what five hundred and forty or something like that. It's probably going to go up with the new CBA after next year. But but still that's what those that's what the players are making. So if you're get, I get it trying to buy out the free agency, but they're gonna be free. But they're agents not buying out free agency. They're gonna be free agents regardless after the six years are up. That's why that's that's why I can't wait to talk to Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox. Like, do they know something we don't know that the CBA is gonna change? Like, why would you give a minor leaguer guaranteed money right now, and you give them six years? Where once he comes up, starts his clock, in six years he's a free agent anyway. Yeah, like oh, for example, Eloy Jimenez got the six years for forty three million. He hit two sixty seven, hit thirty one homers, drove in seventy nine runs. He struck out one hundred and thirty four times in one hundred and twenty two games, four hundred sixty eight at bats. So not a bad first year. I mean, he had the thirty home runs, but everyone was hitting home runs last yeah, year. Yeah, like so, that, that doesn't matter. But he was the guy, and Kingery had a he had a nice little start to his career with the Phillies, and he's actually playing more now. Jonathan Singleton. It's not even in baseball anymore, so he's gone. And Evan White's playing in, I believe, Double A for the Mariners. In I can't wait, Arkansas. To, I can't wait to hear what the thought process is behind this, unless you think that the whole service time, and it might be the big bargaining chip that the players do have, because that's one thing Tony Clark, the president of the Players Association is not happy about is that you got these guys like we saw last year with like Dallas Keuchel. People didn't want to pony up big money for a guy that was a free agent and his age and he had the draft pick compensation on him. Maybe they do believe and they're going to take this gamble that, you know what, maybe guys are free agents after their third year or their fourth year. So if I give them the six years, I, I, I'm i actually buying out, I don't know, three to two years of his free agency. If that's what they believe the business is going to, and I wouldn't be shocked by that because that, that is the thing. It's like the game's going younger. The game's making more money than ever before. You have to compensate the players. they got to get a piece of the pie. That's how it works. The human beings are the product. You're not selling cars. You're not selling jewelry. You're not selling technology. You're selling the players. 
so they need to get their they need to get their cut. Well, now if you're saying you don't want to give them their cut in their 30s, well then you need to give them their cut in their 20s. Which this to me will be a huge bargaining chip for the players union because these negotiations will be fascinating because baseball needs their help. This isn't the holy war like years ago uh, with fear of up against, you know, Donald Fear, who was the head of the players union, where it was just every single negotiation was just a holy war. There's things baseball wants. They want to expand. They want to change their game. Well, if the players constantly go, no, 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 no. Then, you got, then you got an impasse and you got a problem. But since there's things the players want and there's things baseball wants, I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to health need negotiations. I'm not buying that we're going to have labor stoppage and, oh, boy, you wait. everybody's been paid. Everybody has been paid. The main players in the game all have fat contracts. And soon you'll have the Cody Bellingers of the world. They're going to get paid. We have seen so many extensions and signings in baseball. Why would anybody not want to play? Thinking of Bellinger... (laughs) And we saw what Ronald Acuna got. Do you think Bellinger gets more than what Acuna got? At, what uh, the totally? Now you're talking about a guy that could that probably will win an MVP before he hits 25 in Acuna. So Bellinger probably gets a major resign. You know, probably gets between two and three hundred million dollars. Well, Ronald Acuna is like, well, I just resigned this deal with the Braves, and I'm just as good of a player, and I'm only making her twenty. Well, that's on you for signing the deal too early. If you want, if that's going to be a complaint, and. I think Bellinger is going to get a lot of money, and he deserves it. He's a great – and we talked about how good he was in the outfield with his defensive run saves last year. His arm is incredible. He's going to get the money, and I think it's a smart idea for them to lock him up. But he's going to be the new case study going forward how much you give a guy that's young, because once, especially once the CBA changes. Because it's him, and then you think of some of the other younger players that are around. I mean, Matt Olson's going to have to get a contract eventually. He's only 25 still. Yeah. So there's a lot of guys – Chapman, that, Olson. So, I mean, even Marcus, and he's a little old. I mean, he's in his well, late 20s. Well, Marcus is, Marcus is different. Marcus is older. This is a – this is when you have these young players that are so special. At some point, you got to pay them. And that might – you know, that may be one of the reasons why the Dodgers – the Dodgers have done nothing this offseason. If you're the L.A. Dodgers, you won 106 games. You thought you were the best team in the National League. You're trying to make it to the World Series for a third straight year. And the only move you've made is Blake Trinan. I mean, the only move they really – I mean, the year before, they they, they brought in um, A.J. Pollock, that was, which is the biggest contract that Andrew Freeman has ever given out. How's that worked out? He hasn't been great. And they signed Joe Kelly. Remember when Joe Kelly was was dominating in the playoffs for the for Red the Sox? the Red Sox, yeah. Then he goes to the Dodgers. Uh, nightmare for them, and the, especially in the playoffs. He's even worse. So you're hoping Trinan bounces back, but – is that two straight years where you you give all your money? Your your two two your major deals were relievers, and they didn't do anything for you because in LA they need something. You're seeing the Angels go after people. They're linked to Mike Clevenger now from the Indians, who, funny enough, they actually drafted him seven well, year, eight the, years ago. The guy who makes the fit, and it's something we're going to get into a, a, a little bit later. There is a big four trading block right now. 
There's the big four. There's Nolan Arenado, Mookie Betts, Chris Bryant, and Francisco Lindor. The big four. When will they move? And really, the the, the best fit, but it can't happen, is Arenado in L.A. Arnaud's from Orange County. He'd fit perfectly. They've got the money to absorb all of his money. They got some prospects they could throw out there. But there's no way the Rockies are going to trade in division and have Arnado come in there and play these guys 19 times and watch the Dodgers just crap all over you and watching Arnado hitting bombs, playing one of the best third base that can, that can be played. So it's like okay, but that 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 that's they the Dodgers also may be going. Hey, we're gonna have to pay Bellinger. We're gonna have to probably pay him three hundred something million dollars. So maybe one of the reasons why they haven't gone out and made these moves is maybe they're trying to work on an extension for him. They're gonna have to pay him. He's become L.A. is driven by stars. He's becoming a star player. He's now an MVP. He's your guy. It'd be interesting to see what the negotiations were like between his agent and the Dodgers. You know, would he take like right out of the gate? Hey, listen, we'll give you two hundred million. None of these guys, whether it's Acuna or it's Bregman, has signed for that kind of money. We'll give you two hundred million right now because he's what twenty five. Yeah, and well, we saw this with um, the. Red Sox offer Mookie, reportedly offered Mookie Betts, what, an eight-year, $200 million deal? And he's like, no, I'm not going to sign that. And probably a smart move on his end because he's going to get a lot of money when he's a free agent this offseason. So we'll see. He's going to be a good a good one to see, too, what, what he gets because that's going to help. That's going to affect Bellinger and guys going forward. So once we see what Mookie Betts gets, and then down the road you have Lindor, who's going to be free agent in a couple of years. But I think Betts is a guy, whatever he gets, which will, probably, will be well over $300, $300 million, Probably he'll probably he'll break Harper's deal. I'm going to throw that out there now. I think he's going to get more than Bryce Harper. Hot take. It's a hot take. It's a prediction. 2020 bull prediction from from me. So he'll be 28 heading into free agency. So two years older, essentially two years older than Harper was in Machado. Maybe I, he won't. Do you think? He, but you think you you think in in your mind you think he's a better player than Machado and Harper though, right? No one has a higher war over baseball in the last five years besides Mike Trout than him. The guy's been incredible playing for Boston. And what in what is he? Five nine? So five nine right fielder. But you gotta find someone willing to write the check for a corner outfielder for that kind of money. And one of the teams that would have written that check already did is the Philadelphia Phillies. There's only so many bazillion-dollar contracts you can have on your roster. That's one where you should say, kind of look at the Yankees roster and kind of look at their contracts because we have seen guys go from Red Sox to Yankees. I was thinking that when you said who's going to sign the check. Well, you're already paying Stanton all that money still, and you have Aaron Judge who you have to give a contract to. There's only so many teams that can afford that deal. Yeah, and I'm sorry, the Padres aren't going to sign him too, so he's not going there. Uh, Dodgers? No, well, no, I mean, maybe, but not, are you going to pay him and Bellinger? To play in the, I mean, you can put Bellinger in center, I guess, but still, that's a Eventually, lot of money for two off move him to first base. 
I like the idea. I don't know if they're going to sign, but I like the idea that the Angels trade for him. And you have the outfield of Trout, Betts, and I guess Justin Upton. If he bounces back, which who knows. But that's that's a pretty scary outfield. Well, yeah, that's great, if, but if, you have no pitching. Don't don't sleep on Julio Tehran. That was a nice little sneaky signing for them. Don't you got no pitching? How how you gonna get twenty seven outs with a bunch of great outfielders? As I tell everyone, enjoy enjoy third place again as an Angels fan. So, Cody, are you saying ESPN reached out to you, and what did they say? So, ESPN reached out to me, and uh, I think they – I don't know if they feel bad, but, you know, we've been trying to get guys on when we were down at the winter meetings, and it didn't work out, and it's fine. You know, stuff happens. But one of their PR people reached out to me and said, hey, Cody, I'm not sure if you saw or not, but Buss has been doing his top ten players uh, each position. Excuse and, me? I don't know if you – we see everything here on A's Cast Live. Yeah, we, we, and A's Cast. I, I read Powered that. by TuneIn. I read that. I was like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. She's like, you know, Matt Chapman was in there and several other A's have been listed and so far in Buster's thing. Would you like to have him on this week? And I'm like, absolutely. Here's the times available on Friday. And I listed like literally every time except for 3.30 when we're going to have the Hall of Famer Dennis Eckersley on. Who? Yeah, when you text me, I was like, uh, wait, are you, what, are you, what are you saying who to? Then you're like, I was just kidding. But X, I know how much you like Eck, and we got to talk to him last night. For Love Eck. Like, we got to talk to him for like four minutes because he was, was at the end of the 89 celebration. But uh, they asked if we want a Buster, and they said that one of those times will work fine. We'll confirm with him and let you know. So we can roast Buster on Friday after uh, after we go through the, the the list of players on he put together. The greatness wins outfield. Uh, I think they start he, – he puts it in there like every day, but I think he does one every day. So I think the outfield starts tomorrow. So I would say probably left field maybe starts tomorrow. All right. Uh, left field's tomorrow. Friday is center. And Saturday's right field. Monday is teams. Let's see if we can give us a little spoiler on Friday. Ooh. Buster, do you have the White Sox number one like everyone else does? Which position do we want to start first? What do we, what do we, what do we want to go first? I do first baseman because uh, mainly because I think you and I both disagreed with some of the guys that are on the list. So I think that might be the most interesting one. Juicy, to do. you want the juicy juice? Yeah, I think I think a lot of uh, Ace fans and just baseball fans overall are going to be a little surprised with some of the guys on there. Buster Only's top ten first baseman number. Does he do give a little thing about? It? Yes, he does. Da, 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 da. Okay, it doesn't matter. Number one, Freddie Freeman. I'm not going to really go against a guy that hit 306, 38 bombs, 33 doubles, had 117 RBIs, and is a phenomenal, phenomenal defensive player. Are you okay with that one? Are you all right? Yeah, I agree with that. I like Freddie Freeman. I think he's a he's a all around hitter defensively. I think he's the best all around first baseman in baseball. Number two, he's only had one year in the big leagues. Is this your favorite player? But his one year was fabulous. That's Pete Alonso, the polar bear of the Mets. Second. So that's what you were doing. I'm sorry, well, what, what the hell are you doing? No, I was trying to find moneyball drops for each guy, but I saw Meet the Mets, and I'm like, this is perfect for Pete Alonso. I, there is no way I can say that Pete Alonso is the second best first baseman in all of baseball. Not even close. He, he's not a good defensive first baseman. Yeah, 53 home runs is great. 
but I don't think he's his uh, defensive numbers back it up. I don't either. And then the next guy, number three, Anthony Rizzo of the Chicago Cubs. I I, I would not put him in my top five. Uh, he's better than Pete Alonso. Uh, he's pretty good defense. I mean, I watched him play for a long time. You know, being a Pirates fan, he's pretty he's pretty dang good. And he was inconsistent last year. Yeah, last year was a down year for him, but. Uh, I, I like him defensively and offensively. I think he's he's pretty he's pretty solid. I would take. We're talking top ten though. I, I'm not. He's not. I. I, I mean, they're t- Here's something that would scare me about Cubs players. They 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 they're looking to unload Cubs players, like they're not happy with their players right now, and Rizzo's been one of those guys. Would I take him on my team? No doubt about it. Is he top three? Let's continue to go down the list. Carlos Santana, number four of the Cleveland Indians. No. Great year last year offensively, but uh, he was also traded um, a couple times. But he had a good year. He was in the home run derby last year. 34 bombs, 110 runs scored. I mean, he's in my top ten. And the reason why I get to this because it makes me angry. Matt Olson's number five. Matt Olson is number five, hit 36 home runs, an OPS plus of 137, and he missed all that time with the broken hammock bone. Matt Olson is the best, and I mean the best. You may make an argument with Freddie Freeman. Matt Olson is the best defensive first baseman in baseball for sure in the American League. How is he only number five? Uh, no disagreement there on the defensive first baseman. I think him and Freeman. It's like the Brandon Crawford, Angelton Simmons debate from years ago, who's the better defensive player. They're both really good, uh, and they both played in different leagues, so it was easier to do. And same with Freeman and, and Olsen. Olsen missing all what he played in 121 games last year, so you figure he hit 36 home runs. We talked about a lot already. He hits over 50 if he, play, if he plays in 150. And think about that. Best defensive first baseman in the American League and hits 45. I'll say even 45. 45-plus home runs. You're not telling me he's the best? I want to make Buster a bet that when he does this again next year, Matt Olson will be number one. I'll bet him dinner. At Ooh. next year's winter meetings, um, I, maybe he may, he, may, he, may, he, may, he may be too busy for us. Yeah, well, no, he, he was here for the wildcard game, so he might be here for a playoff run next year. All maybe, right. maybe he's. Well, oh. no, this is the list will have this list will come out next year. Oh, what was twenty twenty one? I want to bet him a dinner. That Matt Olson, like I think top three is too easy. I have so much confidence in Matt Olson that he will be the number one first baseman on Buster Only's top 10 list in 2021. I want you to make the bet with him. Tell him on Friday. Tell him, you know, a year from now you're going to revisit it when he comes out with it and, and you think that he'll also be number one. I don't disagree with you. I think he will be. If not, he's like it's like the well, when Feldy did the, the 3A, 3B with Donaldson and, and Chapman. It's I think that's what it is with those two guys. I think they're 1A, 1B. And they're both – well, Olsen's from Georgia. I don't know where Freddie Freeman's from. Number six – Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, he should be he should be higher, but he had a slow start. I was I can't remember if it was a slow start of the year or a slower second half, but 
He's usually really consistent. He'll get you 30 home runs, close to 300 batting average. Number seven, raise the Jolly Roger, Josh Bell. Don't get me started with Bell. Uh, he was great. First half of the year last year, 27 home runs, 84 RBIs, hit 302. Was in the uh, home run derby. Second half, 10 home runs, 32 RBIs, hit 233. 936 OPS, 37 bombs, 37 doubles, 74 walks. Guriel from the Astros, number eight. He had a good offensive year last year. Better than number nine, Jose Abreu? Uh, I think it's close. I mean, Abreu has been very productive since he came to the big leagues. And I'm glad they re-signed him. What was it, a three-year deal? Yeah, some some along those lines. I like that resigning for them just because he's been there. He wants to stay in Chicago. They have a nice team they're trying to build. They're everyone's picked the one the uh, AL Central and the World Series, or well, not the World Series. Everyone's picking the Yankees, but they're the team everyone's picking to make the playoffs this year, just like the Padres. He's got 611 RBIs in six seasons, so he's had 100 RBIs every year he's played. Is that is that productive? Thirty. I, you're I'd getting, say so. You're getting over 30 and over 100 every single year. And number nine is friend of the program. I mean, excuse me, number ten. True. I li- I like Mancini. I think he's a he plays right field too, so it's a little it's a little different. Skewed, skewed, yeah. So, but he's he's a good hitter. He's a he's a on a really bad team. He's a really good hitter. So I don't know how much that really, how much he gets credit for that, but still, he's a he has a lot of power. He'll hit you with a decent average, and he plays good defense. So he had thirty five home runs. And at a three sixty four on base percentage. For a really bad Orioles team. <laughs> when I say really bad, I mean they're not as bad as the Tigers, but I mean they were still really bad. And I think th- and some of the guys that were left off the list were Joey Votto, uh Reese Hot Joey Votto had a down year last year, but the guy's a consistent player every year. He gets on he gets on base like no other. It was always the claim to fame for him. Reese Hoskins is another guy. He has a lot of power. I, I like him, but he doesn't at his hand for average and a Phillies lineup that has Harper and Rio Muto and different guys that are going to help him. McCutcheon will be back this year, maybe a bigger year for Hoskins. But I, I'd maybe put Votto in there over like Gurriel or something. But I think this is all recency bias, and we're going. Oh, to it's all they, recency. If the polar bear is on there, yeah, true. And at jo- number and, two, and Josh Bell's on there. Josh Bell's on there. Then yeah, because Bell never had a good year until this past season. Coming up next, will Simeon and Chapman fare better than Olsen? You'll find out right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Eno Saris is going to join us coming up here. Great writer for The Athletic. Can't wait to get into this article. It's about how some college, some universities, have better technology than Major League Baseball teams. And I know a lot of people might say that's very strange. That can't be true. Well, he looked at the big three, University of Missouri, Vanderbilt University, and Wake Forest University. They've got like the, these these. I don't have the article in front of me because we're going to something else. But they got they got like uh, what are they calling them labs? 
like they started like as pitching labs, but now they're using it for their hitters and they're you know, it's like a think tank type lab. It's incredible the stuff. Like some of the stuff in there, like I, I never heard of uh, what was it, Dartfish and and Kvest. Like those are new ones for me. And then like Kvest have been around. And then the, Dartfish, like, I had no clue. And then you got this now the state of the art, you know, like pitching labs and stuff. What, and what's like, the hit hit tracks or hit? Who yeah, it's like yeah, hit tracks, something like that. Yeah, uh, it's it's a fascinating read on the athletic. All right, now I got it in front of me. So you got Trackman, Hit Tracks, Rapsodo, Dartfish, K-Vest, Diamond Kinetics. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. You don't need to know exactly what they all do. Eno will explain it coming up here at the bottom of the hour. All right, we'll go third baseman. We like talking about our Matt Chapman. He's special. We know that. He's not number one. Number one, not surprising, is Alex Bregman. After the year he had, runner-up MVP. And if you look in this division, third base is unbelievable. Number one's Bregman. Number two, welcome to the division, Anthony Rendon, who had a monster year last year. Number three, Nolan Arenado. He puts up monster numbers. And don't call it just Coors Field because he hits away from Coors Field. Number four is actually our guy, Matt Chapman. You got to, you got to, I appreciate that because Matt Chapman's ahead of a lot of good guys. And I can see Matt Chapman. I mean, would you argue Matt Chapman over any of those three? The only guy maybe is is probably our is uh, Rendon, because Rendon had again it's recency bias. He had a good year. He had a breakout. Essentially, he had a breakout in my eyes. He had a breakout year last year. He's an all star. He had the, the high batting average, a lot of the runs driven in the home runs. But he, other than that, he hasn't. I mean, his career's been pretty consistent. I wouldn't say he was a star on that national team because you know he was over overshadowed by Harper and everyone else. But maybe I would put him over Rendon, but definitely not over Bregman or. Um, Aaron Arenado from what he's done over, you know, those two guys have done over their career. I mean, Bregman's hit, what, he hit 40, over 40 home runs last year. He's had a nice run. He's a, de- a decent defensive player. And then Arenado, you know, Chapman and him are, are high school teammates. He's Chapman's the understudy, as people like to say to him. So, yeah, I would say maybe, maybe one. So Chapman would be in the top three for me. But other than that, the other two guys, um, Bregman and, and Arenado, those are those are the guys I think are one two for me. The A's no third baseman because the next one, number five on the list, is Josh Donaldson, former A, who rebounded at a very very good year last year. Chris Bryant, number six, Rafael Devers from the Red Sox, number seven, Suarez with the uh, Reds at number eight, Ramirez with the Tribe at number nine, and Justin Turner comes in at number 10, and he may not be playing third base anymore. This one might shock you. Shortstop, top 10, Buster Olney. Number one, not a shocker, Francisco Lindor. Will Lindor be on the Cleveland Indians by the training deadline? No. I think he gets traded. I think he traded this offseason. Like I said, we read the, the quote from their GM saying how they haven't, you know, if he feels he's going to be there. It's just, for me, that reading between the lines, that's a 
We haven't got a lot of calls. I'm surprised. Start calling me. I want to try to trade this guy away. Calls have not been good enough, so uh, business is still open. Number two, can you guess who's number two? Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon. Can't wait to talk to Buster Olney on Friday about Marcus Simeon. With all the struggles, the injury to the wrist, that going into this season, he's now considered the second-best shortstop, third in the MVP voting. Boy, has Marcus Simeon made incredible strides. And you just look his stat line across the board, his year is one of the greatest years you could ever have for a guy that plays every day and played the shortstop that he did. You name it. Scored runs, hit home runs, got on base, extra base hits. He did everything. He was, he was money. Absolutely money. Trevor Story, number three for the Rockies. Uh, Baez for the Cubs at number four. Xander Bogarts from the Boston Red Sox at number five. A guy that the Tampa Bay Red Sox could be moving. He's been rumored to be moved. Carlos Correa of the Houston Astros. Another guy rumored to be moved. Because he missed 53 games in 2017. 52 games in 2018 and 87 games last year drops to sixth. Mini A-Rod has talent to be number one, but look how many 53, 52 and 87. That's the amount of games he's missed the last three years. I I think that you're right. The mini A-Rod comparison is great. And I do think the Astros will maybe try to move him, which when I first read that, I'm like, He's he would could be the odd man out because they want to resign Springer and you already got you already got Bregman locked up but he has a lot of potential and then going down through the list like Jorge Jorge Polanco I like him for the Twins they gave him that extension last year he hit two ninety five he did twenty two home runs but everyone on the Twins had home runs last year they hit three hundred seven league baseball then you got Paul DeYoung who had a nice year after bouncing back from being injured he hit a lot of home runs last year for the Cardinals but again everyone hit home runs everybody last year. hit home runs it doesn't count. Then Corey Seager's on the list. I would actually say Tim Anderson was 10th around that. I think Tim Anderson is actually better than Corey Seager. Will and Corey Seager be the starting shortstop for the Cleveland Indians on opening day? I think that's the guy that goes to Cleveland because they, they are so reluctant to give up Gavin Lux, a guy that you haven't seen anything from. Well, the, 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 if you're going to give up Lindor, you, you're going to need somebody to play shortstop that's not going to piss off the fan base. And if you get Seager, you can at least say, hey, this is a guy we'd probably be able to afford. He's a good player. I mean, Seager had 44 doubles last year, coming off Tommy John surgery. So I, I like his upside. He has a lot of upside. Personally, if I ran the Dodgers, which I don't, I don't run any organization, there's probably reasons reason Tampa why. Tampa Bay Dodgers? Uh, I, would, I would have Seager. I'd rather have Seager over Lux because you don't know what you're going to get out of Lux. Lux could be the greatest hype prospect ever, and he could turn out to be, you know, um, well, I won't say Josh Hamilton because he came back and did well, but a guy that's highly touted and does anything, but Lux looked good last year when he had the, again, what do we call it? Small sample size. Ah, he's an athletic kid. There's no doubt about it. You know, that's one of those deals where you hang on to him like that, he better work out or you're going to look bad. That's why I'm not buying the, look how long it took for Fre- uh, for uh, Andrew Friedman to get his extension down to Los Angeles. We did find out that he did get one. Um, but guy- it was one night. Not it wasn't like they weren't championing. Look how we re-signed our guy. They they weren't doing that. We had to ask Dave Asay after we had him on. I, I texted him. 
so did Freeman ever get a contract? And he goes, yes, he did. And I'm like, all right, good. So at least we know that was taken care of. Anthony, happy new year. Welcome to the first show of 2020 for the athletics and our wonderful show. And uh, how were your holidays? My holidays were wonderful. Uh, my kids got overloaded with, uh, with with toys and princess stuff, and uh, I'm happy to be here on the uh, 2020 debut episode. Yeah, let me tell you, crazy for me is, is I have twin girls that are 14, and it's amazing yeah. how it's transitioned from Disney princesses and toys to now, Mom, all I want is clothes. Yeah, I can, I can see that coming down the road, but... Uh, yeah, mine are young enough that you can still uh, satiate them with, you know, markers and princesses and stuff like that. But I, I know that day is coming where, uh, you know, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be a busy man in all the wrong ways when they're teenagers. Number seven is one that my audience absolutely loves, where you talk about the A's, the Reds, and the White Sox as division winners. As we have watched Houston dominate this division. I mean, you think the A's have won 97 games back-to-back years. That's only got them into a wild-card game. Why do you see things changing? Well, for one, I do think the A's, I mean, it, it's easy to get swept up in the narrative of the offseason. It's not like the A's have, have obviously uh, lit the world aflame uh, with their offseason activity. Um, but, you know, coming out of 2019, I just felt like this is really the, the season they were circling anyway. Uh, to get really good. Well, lo and behold, they got really good ahead of schedule the last couple of years and, and were able to make the playoffs twice as a result. But, you know, I, I think this is more uh, the concoction that they look at as being a legit division contender, uh, you know, with the young arms and the rotation starting to come to fruition. Now a lot has to go right there. We know that, you know, A.J. Puck and Jesus Lazard, I mean, those guys really have to develop at the major league level. But um, the ingredients are there, you know, and, and I think we've seen uh, a strong offensive core from the A's to, to support that. So um, the question is, you know, will the Astros actually fall back? Now, going into the offseason, clearly the Astros, it was not hard to identify question marks with, you know, with free agency. We all knew or expected they were going to lose Garrett Cole, and, uh, and they've since lost Will Harris as well in, in free agency. You know, that alone probably isn't enough to, to sway the division standings. But obviously what has happened since the offseason began is this sign-stealing uh, controversy uh, and, and a subsequent investigation, which really does create a lot of questions, I think, for 2020 because they, uh, it, it sure appears that MLB is going to come down hard on the Astros here before long. And how much will that affect them in the present tense? If there are suspensions on the front office level, or even on the management level with A.J. Hinch, I mean, how big of a distraction will that be to overcome for a team that is already slightly compromised by getting older uh, at the top end of the rotation and you know losing Cole and, and losing Harris, losing these, these important pieces. So I think it'll be a fascinating dynamic for a team that's had so much success in recent seasons. This is going to be a, uh, a major test of their uh, mental fortitude, I think, in the months to come. Are you surprised that things haven't come down yet on them. I know when we were down at the winter meetings, you had the commissioner talking about this investigation is the biggest and most comprehensive investigation in baseball history. And he kind of went, I don't know, Pete Rose was a pretty big deal, and that was pretty good. But are you surprised we haven't we haven't heard anything yet? 
Yeah, I'm not terribly surprised. I know these things do take time, and uh, they're they're sorting through a lot of interviews and emails and, and all of that. So I'm never surprised when things take longer than you hope them to take. That's that's life, right? So, um, and you know, it is a pretty. You think about the, you know, the the level of investigation they're trying to accomplish here. They want to do something with certainty. And uh, it's really a fairly young investigation in, in terms of when this all came to light. So um, I would certainly hope uh, by the time we get into spring training that we'll have some clarity here. Although I, you know, not up to be to put a timetable on it, but I would certainly hope that. Just as a baseball fan, I'd like to, and, and as a person uh, who will have to go out and make real predictions here before long, I'd like to know what the deal is. Uh, but uh, it, it's. All, it's all there, you know. We, we've seen the videos. We we know the allegations, and it's it's really uh, sent a shockwave through the industry. Not so much a shockwave. I, I think there was pretty wide understanding that the Astros were, were one of those teams that, that people were leery about with, with sign stealing. But I do think it's wider than just the Astros. I know it's wider than just the Astros. I know it's something that a lot of teams have engaged in at various levels. But uh, the Astros are. Uh, kind of the focal point right now uh, with this investigation, and I'm sure the punishment to come. In this article, you address three of the big four. When I say the big four, the guys that are rumored to really be on the trading block, Nolan Arnato, Mookie Betts, Chris Bryant, and then, of course, Lindor, the great shortstop from the Cleveland Indians. Who stays? Who goes? You know, they probably all stay, ultimately, at least uh, for this offseason. It's just it's so hard to trade a star, a star player in today's environment. Um, you know, the, the, the public valuations, the valuations the public places on a, on a player like a Mookie Betts or Francisco Lindor is actually higher than uh, other teams place on them. Not that they don't value those guys. I'm just saying they hoard young prospects in today's game. And it's just tough to find the right value. Now, in my predictions, I put the Dodgers will trade for Chris Bryant. You know, maybe that doesn't happen between now and opening day. It could happen in the year 2020, in the season of 2020. I do think the Dodgers are going to do something between now and July 31st of significance. Maybe that's Betts. Maybe that's Bryant. Maybe that's Lindor. They've had conversations about all of those guys. Bryant's situation has been tied up this winter because of his uh, arbitration grievance and, or excuse me, his service time grievance that um, you know he's trying to shave off a year between now and his, his free agent eligibility. But um, so we're still waiting that to be settled. I think there's a pretty wide expectation that he'll still have you know two more years before free agency. But you know it's hard to make that trade until you know for certain. Um, but you know that, that's a team that looking for right-handed power can control that trade market for any of those three guys, really. Um, but, you know, with the Red Sox, they're trying to get on, under the luxury tax threshold. Um, there's other ways to do it without trading Mookie Betts. I just, I, I find it hard to believe that High and Bloom's first order of business there will be to trade, um, you know, probably their most popular and best player. You know, that's, that's a tough move to start off with. Um, with the Indians and Francisco Lindor, that's a team that, that sets a high price tag and doesn't come off of it. That's why they didn't move Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer a year ago. Um, and they ended up moving both those guys within the year after that. So I think that's what will happen with Lindor. I think they'll take him into the season. I, I think they'll most likely be in contention mid-year and not trade him then. I, I think it's more likely they trade him a year from now. Um, and then with Bryant, the Cubs are a really fascinating team because they seem intent on trading somebody. It might not be Bryant. It might be Wilson Contreras or somebody else from that roster. But they seem to be focused on uh, 2021 and beyond as much as they are on 2020. So um, they're looking to, you know, shore up their long-term financial 
and uh, you know prospect pictures. So that that could mean moving Bryant, but I, I always lean towards things not happening uh, in the immediate, just because it is such a complicated conversation. But if if I had to pick one of those guys to move between now and July 31st, I would pick Bryant. And uh, as I said, the Dodgers seem to make a lot of sense there. Yeah, talk about not doing anything, and they've been the one team really criticized is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Big market team, big money. They got themselves under the luxury tax. We thought they were going to spend this offseason. We know Freeman doesn't want to get rid of any of his prospects. You mentioned Gavin Lux could be rookie of the year this year in the National League. How, how would you rate the Dodgers offseason? Well, there's not much to rate, right? I mean, it's Blake Trinan, uh, you know, they, they get him for their bullpen, and that's about the size of it. But um, I would also – and they lose Hunjin Ryu, which is no small thing. But, you know, they win that division by 21 games last year. They've got not just talent but young talent all over the field. They, they rate – they project to be above average at every position on the field. Um, they look to be pretty good in the rotation, even without Ryu. Um and and the bullpen, you know, who knows? I mean, that that's certainly an area where they could use some help and maybe try and provide it. But it's it's not like they have a screaming need anywhere. Like if they don't do this, they're in big trouble. I don't think they're in trouble at all. I think they're still in perfect position to command that division again. It's just a matter of do they make some kind of blockbuster move that that betters their odds for October? They they know as well as anybody that October anything can happen. Anybody can get bounced in the first round or go all the way. Um, they came very close to going all the way for a couple of years and they got bounced in the first round last year. So I understand that they're not doing something for the sake of doing something. However, they do seem more keen on, uh, you know, shaking up their group dynamics than they have been in some time. So maybe that will lead to a blockbuster trade between now and opening day. But I, I, I do think between now and July 31st is probably more realistic. And I think that it could be just a situation where they go into the season looking pretty good and are pretty good and then figure out what they need to figure out as the year goes along because they do have the prospect capital and the financial flexibility to do pretty much whatever they want at the trade deadline. So, um, you know, that, that seems more realistic to me right now. It's been a long time since we've seen a repeat champion in Major League Baseball. you got to go all the way back to that dynasty team of the New York Yankees where it was 98, 99, 2000. And here you have both World Series teams not making the postseason. Yeah, I think that's fairly realistic. I we you know I went over the Astros issues earlier, and again maybe even if they do get taken down in the division, that's still probably a good chance at a wild card there. Um, the Nationals, I don't think it's hard to figure out what could go wrong there. I mean, it's a pretty old roster, right? It was an old roster last year, and they made it work to their benefit. But you know things can fall apart when you go on a deep run like that, and they're very very starting pitching oriented and they asked a lot of those guys last season you know Max Scherzer uh had that had that uh, awful upper back neck thing that you know caused him to be uh, scratched from the World Series game and then he pitches uh after the you know the, the cortisone kicks in he, he pitches uh, in game seven but you know, they asked a lot of their arms and they'll continue to ask a lot of their arms moving forward and that's a recipe for regression it just we've seen it time and time again we saw it from the Red Sox in 2019 so and they oh and oh by the way they lose Anthony Rendon for the agency and um, you know to date it's you know Starlin Castro uh, is a replacement in the infield so um, so yeah I, I, they do have questions about that Nationals team in a deep division uh, like the NL East particularly where um, I don't know I, I think if things break right for the Phillies and Mets they could very much 
they, they could be right in the thick of things uh, with the Braves and Nats in 2020. So I don't think it's a, a certainty that the Nats, uh, you know, not only vie for the division, but vie for the wild card. I think they very realistic. They can go backward in a big way. Well, the number one thing you had to start your article out, 20 things for 2020 predictions, is our guy Josh Donaldson. And you know he's a great A, yeah. and our fan base still loves J.D., will always love J.D. You predict the Twins. You know, we've heard Braves, we've heard Nationals, we've heard Twins, we've heard the, you know, the, the mystery teams that are out there. You see it going down that uh, he's going to be in Minnesota. Uh, I think this one's already got to be struck from the record because, uh, you know, it, it sounds like the, the Twins are increasingly pessimistic about actually reeling him in. So my thought going into the winter was he's going to end up in the American League because, right, it's going to be an American League team that uh, goes the extra year, that fourth year, um, goes the extra dollar, what have you. And so my, my initial thought was the Rangers will lose out on Anthony Rendon, and they did. And they'll go after Josh Donaldson, but they they seem reluctant with with Donaldson and his age, which you can understand. You know, he's entering his age 34 season. Um, and then your next thought is, well, you know, his heart is set on staying with the Braves. It's not just that that's the team he grew up with. More practically, it's a training staff uh, that that he feels good about working with. He worked with them in in uh, Toronto, and uh, you know, when when certain people made the move with Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, to Atlanta, you know, he's, he's benefited from that uh, in that one year in Atlanta. So, um, you know, as we sit here today now with, with the Twins kind of not feeling great about things, it just seems like this guy's heart is set on going back to Atlanta and they're, they're trying to make that work. I, I'd be surprised at this point if it doesn't happen. But um, it's a fascinating dynamic because he really – he's got a lot of leverage at an age where players usually don't have leverage anymore in MLB. Yeah. Right? We've seen the games – kind of get away from guys like Josh Donaldson, but he's in a really good spot because there's some good teams that need help at his position. And he's coming off a monster year, uh, that, that pillow contract, as they call it with the one year deal in Atlanta, he made good on it. So, you know, kudos to Josh Donaldson. I, I, I would, I think, you know, in the interest of making a bold prediction, I went with the twins, but man, it sure seems like his heart is set on going back to Atlanta. We'll see. So this is our first show of 2020, which gets me super excited when do you so you know we still got football playoffs we still got the national championship game and college football when do you start really getting excited knowing that the 2020 season's right around the corner well just like everyone else when when they start reporting to spring training and um you know those those first pitches in anger and that sort of thing in the exhibition season but um you know as a function of my job i kind of I kind of maintain a a level of excitement throughout the winter i mean i enjoy this stuff like who's going to go where and I just the, the especially increasingly as things get uh, more nuanced and analytical and in some places cold blooded. Like it's it's just fascinating to watch how how front offices go about structuring their club, what they value, what they prioritize, that sort of thing. And and obviously the last couple winters leading into this one were pretty barren in free agency. So this has been a nice year where you know there there has been more activity early. There's been more aggression early. It's been more of that old school model, and it's just it's just fun to see guys move around and how they fit, where they fit, what you know, what makes sense, what doesn't, what happens that totally throws you off. Like Mike Mustakis signs as a second baseman, you know that kind of thing. Where 
uh, you know, the things that make you scratch your head, and it's it's just at least a fun debate. So this has been a really fun off season from that perspective. Hey, we always appreciate the time, and especially coming on our first show of 2020. And I will throughout the season, if this thing goes right, we'll constantly be saying, "Hey, Anthony told you the A's were going to win the division. <laughs> we'll be promoting." Well, and you. that's and that is the beauty of a bold prediction. Like even if you don't believe it, you got to go bold or go home. Because if you just say that the Astros are going to win the division again, I mean, nobody's going to remember that. But if I do happen, if the blind squirrel finds a nut and the A's win this division, yeah, I will be one of the few who had that uh, on January one. So that's a good feeling. Anthony, great stuff. We'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right. Same to you. Have a good one. Tony, welcome back to A's Cast Live, and uh, this Saturday I know is going to be very, very special in Concord. Well, we're lucky uh, for a couple reasons. One, we made these uh, invitations and unanimously. You can imagine Bruce and Buster and Albert and Mark and uh, Stu and Eck. I mean, they all said yes, and then we, we wanted to make sure we hit the young guys. So we had Marcus, Matt, and uh, Jack Flaherty. Unfortunately, Jack and uh, and Matt can't be there, so they're going to sign some stuff ahead of time. But that's lucky, and and ours lucky because we've come up on a on a on a mission that really really does a lot of good, and we get a lot of support. You know, Tony, I think about baseball as family, and you know, being down at the winter meetings this past year in San Diego, and you know, getting to see people that you you don't get to see throughout the year. And I think about your long, great career, whether it was as a player, whether it was with the White Sox, the A's, with the Cardinals, then the Red Sox, and now at the Angels. And you make all these relationships. And one of the great things about all these relationships is how they've been able to help ARF over the years. Talk about just all these great people have been able to, not only from your time, your standpoint of being able to manage them, the fact that they give back and still help you today. Well, it's really a model. It's one that, believe me, I didn't invent it. I was taught it. I grew up in the uh, was Kansas City A's in the Oakland A's organization, so I was really taught well and got into managing. Had a lot of great mentors and in uh, other sports as well. And what you learn that when you are playing, you're playing as a team, and you got to first you got to create is that brotherhood, that family feeling where everybody is accountable and responsible to each other. Well, the, the, a lot of good things happen. You compete at a higher level. You practice better. You play harder. You get more wins, all that stuff. But the other one is has been the biggest benefit of all when it's over. You still remember. You still remain part of the family. And because I had the uh, good fortune of being in Chicago, Oakland, St. Louis as a manager, you know, it's a, it's a real a lot, of, a lot of guys in that family. And, uh, and we all help each other. I mean, I, I ask for help, and if they ask me, I say yes if I can. So... And I, and I just suggest that, that whatever you get into, unless you're playing golf or tennis, you know, you, you, you create relationships because that's what makes it work. Did you ever think that ARF would be this great and this big? Oh, no. You know, Elaine, Elaine, my wife, is really, you know, she's been crazy because she's the really knowledgeable animal crusader. I just love them. Um, but her and Bianca and Devin are, you know, they really have a lot of know-how. So in 19... The winter of 1990, after the uh, heavy cat came on the field, we got serious about it. We were, I mean, believe me, our, our hope was to survive and maybe build, you know, 7,000, 8,000 square feet someplace and save a couple, two, three hundred a year. And instead, we've got the 30 plus thousand in Walnut Creek, and we just 
I think we just passed the 43,000 adoption. So no clue, but it all comes down to having a great mission and as people we, we haven't let down the people that support us. Yeah, and, and of course, you guys need a new roof at, at, at your headquarters. Yeah, well, the, the facility opened in 2003, and 15 years later, we started leaking. You know, and that caused all kind of chaos in the building. So you got to patch it up, and, uh, and it's a big tab. And years ago, I'm, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was at the A's, we used to have an autograph show called Baseball Stars to the Rescue. And, well, we had, you know, a lot of great guys. I mean, Giants like Will Clark and guys like that. Kirby Puckett came in. But then when I went to the Cardinals, it was really difficult, awkward to do, so we stopped doing it. And this the roof issue came up, and I thought, you know, I'm going to make a few phone calls. And if a couple of guys say yes, let's move forward. So the first four I called were Bruce and Buster, uh, McGuire, and uh, and Albert, uh, actually five back. And they all five said yes. And uh, since then, Reggie said, I asked Reggie, he said yes, and you know, of course, Stu's jumped in there, and then uh, the young guys, the young future future Hall of Famers, are already stars. So, I mean, I, it's 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 a lot like the R story. I mean, if you'd have told me a month ago, six weeks ago, that it would have come this fast, and we would have had this kind of uh, donations, because they donate man up to a couple hundred signatures, so it's it's a it's a hefty donation. I'd have said no chance, but it's happening. Yeah, arflife.org. You can go check it out, and you can see in Concord uh, this Saturday, 9.30 to 4 p.m. You can see the schedule for each one of these guys. There's a morning session. There is an afternoon session. And, you know, one of the guys, and it's so great to see him getting back in the public because I know raising young kids, and, and Mark was in the game. But to see Mark McGuire, we had him on the show here before he went into the Hall of Fame, but getting to see Mark again, and to hear him talk, because he's always been so good, and Tony, it was funny, for a lot of these young A's fans, they never really have heard Mark McGuire speak until he did the interview here on A's cast. I know how much he means to you. Just how great is it to see basically Mark McGuire back in the public and being out here again? Well, it's, it's much, much well-deserved and to all our benefits. Uh, I mean, I've gone on record many, many times back when Mark started as a rookie throughout his whole career, you can ask whether it was in Oakland or St. Louis. Uh, he, there was never a more favored teammate. I mean, he's a great team. He's a great guy, but also a great player. And then he became very smart about things. And then as, as and he and Steph got together, and now they have, you know, their two sons and their triplet girls, they're great parents. Uh, but, you know, we had to just stay close to him, like we were talking about the relationship over the years. And I realized just how how much you learned about him. So sure enough, in 2010-11, brought him back my last two years and we celebrated a World Series together, and he was instrumental. If you look at the, how Freese got hot there at the end, Alan Craig got hot, he was instrumental in, in tweaking an, an issue they were having. So having him back in the, in the public eye, you know, he, he coached with the Dodgers for a while afterwards and then went to San Diego. Now he's, he's raising these two boys that are going to be stars. Uh, it's for all our benefit, and uh, if somebody comes up there on Saturday, you have a chance to say hello to him. He, he'll, you know, he's got a beautiful smile, and he's a beautiful guy. The Concord Hilton Ballroom, 1970 Diamond Boulevard in Concord, California, and it's going to be from 9:30 to 4 o'clock. And I think about what you guys do for animals, and and, and really, 
especially when I think about dogs, what they mean to people and these service dogs that are helping so many people. It, 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 it truly, you know, I just recently got a puppy, Tony, and what it means to my kids <laughs> and our family. It's just dogs truly become a part of your family. Well, they, they, they definitely do. In fact, I think a lot of times they're better people because I can remember walking in the house after losing a game of life and a dog, you know, why'd you pitch this guy? Why didn't you bunt? And then behind me was that dog and cat with their wagon tail. They, we don't care. We love you anyway. So you've done your kids a favor by, by introducing a companion animal to him because he'll be there for him every day, all the time. And, uh, you know, you, you talked about, uh, the value of the people. That's the, the other part of our mission. If somebody drives out to Walnut Creek, we're, we're really pleased. They'll see that under construction is a country's very first uh, private nonprofit facility for veterans with PTSD to uh, train their, their their dogs, whether it's for emotional support or for service. And uh, it's right next to our building. And uh, pretty soon they, it's, it's going to be a, something that uh, will happen around the country because you can't do enough for veterans. Yeah, I, I I love that idea, Tony, that uh, the dog or cat never wonders why you pit, didn't pinch hit that guy in the ninth inning. <laughs> That's right. Oh, believe me, that, they, I've, I've gone, they've been my rescue many a nights when if, if the ladies didn't get on my butt, I was getting on my own, and uh, they just didn't care, and pretty soon it was better. Yeah, and, and talk a little bit more about that when, when our soldiers come back and they're dramatically affected mentally how these dogs can help them so much? Well, one of the issues that uh, we were all facing, well, we go way back when it was really ugly in the 60s with Vietnam, but since then, you know, our members of the military are, and all our first responders are really treated with respect and the sacrifices and the dangers they go through. So the suicide rate is probably the best way to get your attention. The suicide rate is just horrific. And when they come back, from the Middle East, you know, what do they got? And they got issues with uh, orientation, education, housing, uh, employment, probably readjusting the family. And uh, so there are different ways companies are hired. But one of the things you can do, especially if, if, with the PTS issues, is get in there so deep is that you can introduce a companion. It's that simple. So we have a great uh, slogan that was developed for this program. Ours is called Pets and Vets. It, it saves lives at both ends of the leash because the dogs that the veterans take are the ones that come off the list at 24 hours later, they'd be, they'd be euthanized. And so you literally are saving that life, and then the quality of life of the veteran improves. The testimony, we've been doing this for seven years now, the testimonials will make you cry. I mean, they're, they're, you can see how real this program is, and we're inspired to do more. And that's why we all need to support ARF, and we need to support this Saturday, January 11th, 9.30 to 4 o'clock, Concord Hilton Ballroom, 1970 Diamond Boulevard in Concord, California. Just, you know, just one baseball question for you, Tony. When You know, I talk about how Bill Walsh with the 49ers always talked about the Super Bowl. It was Everything was about winning the Super Bowl. He never said, I just want to make the playoffs. I just, I, you know, we just want to win the division. It was always about the Super Bowl because when you're dealing with the human mind, if you're saying we just want to win the division, 
once you've won the division, you've accomplished your goals. And I think about this A's team that's won 97 games two straight years and got bounced from the wild card game. But for me, their mental mind state this spring training has to be, you know what, we can win it all, and the goal is to win the World Series. How did you handle that as a manager when you talked about this is what the goal is, these are the expectations? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that mentally uh, when the A's get together pretty soon in a month or so, the, the, the frame of mind will be taken care of because there's nobody does a better job, Bob Melvin and his coaches. Uh, the, the one thing you just got to be careful with is that you got to be realistic in the expectations. Like if you're just coming out and you're improving and, and, and winning more than you lose is a good year, you know, you can't say we're going to the World Series that year your team or say it to the public because the pressure is just unfair. But I think what Bill was what did, once he knew that they, he had as good a club as anybody, then that's when you raise the bar and you and you create the dream because sometimes the dream comes through. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to – it's like what I just described a minute ago, one side of the equation. You don't want to create a pressure that's unrealistic. Like we're going to win a division when the, the best you can do is play 500. But at the same time, you don't want to under under dream. You know, if you have a club that's competitive, and to me, the answer has always been, if you are capable of getting to the playoffs, which the A's have done, for example, then you are capable of dreaming the World Series. Because once you get into the world, into the playoffs, it's been proven any team of the eight can win a short series. So, I do believe that you you set your sights high. If you can get in, if you're going to get to the playoffs, then you got to dream for the big one. Nothing else matters. Tony, you are the best. Have a great. We'll keep promoting it throughout the week. Have a great Saturday with your friends, your former players. It's going to be a real magical day there in Concord. We always appreciate the time. Happy New Year. Yeah, real quick. You know the way we're presenting are in pairs. You know, so that's like Boshi and Posey and uh, uh, McGuire with us. Stu and Ethan Pools and me and Reggie, and then and then the kids are by themselves. But if somebody comes in and just wants to buy a autograph, then the autograph they'll see is more expensive, and they'll see what a bargain the double play is. Uh, I want to make sure everybody understood that. So, but I appreciate the time, man, and, th- and just get the word out because it's going to be a nice event. We'll promote it all week. Take care, Tony. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye. Dallas, how are you? Talk to talk to me, County. I'm doing well, buddy. Are you, are, 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 how's the arm, and are you ready for fantasy camp? Oh, I am ready for fantasy camp. I've been uh, I've been getting loose with the blitz ball. I don't know if you are uh, privy to the blitz ball. It's uh, this little octagonal, octagonal, however you say that word, uh, shaped ball. You can make it move like you're actually good at baseball. So that's why I like it because it makes me makes me feel like I'm really good at what's going on. I'm ready. I'm ready, County. These guys, I've been getting. DMs and text messages and, and all the sorts from from past and present campers that are ready to rock. I cannot wait. I'll be out of here Wednesday, headed to Mesa, uh, out at Talking Stick, ready to, uh, you know, they call it fantasy, but really it's it's by the time I'm done with them, County, it's a nightmare. Oh, you kidding me? Sitting around drinking beers at night, telling stories and playing baseball all day long. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, if that's 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 the idea of the fantasy label, right? Is is I've always talked about. Look, if you have 
do you have a, a, a boys' trip, a girls' trip, a fan trip sort of plans, a bucket list type deal that you have set up between you and a group of friends and you love the game of baseball? There really is no better way to satiate that desire than to go to A's fantasy camp as an A's fan. As you alluded to, man, we're going to be playing baseball from morning through the afternoon. There's stuff going on in the morning. Kangaroo Court, like I've talked about before, is probably one of my favorite things to do. Um, we have a MVP all-star caliber guest that we will be having a Q&A with as well. So I cannot wait to get out there and get this going. A's Fantasy Camp, January 9th through the 14th. I believe you can still get in. It's simple. Just get on Google, put in a Oakland A's Fantasy Camp, and you'll get all the information you want. Jason Giambi's going to be there this year. Dave Stewart, Vita Blue, uh, Campy, Bobby Crosby, Carney Lansford. I mean, you're going to have Shooty Babbitt, going to have you, Dallas Braden, and you get to dress in the big league uniform. I mean, how cool is that for the campers? Tony, it's, you, you know what's awesome is it kind of takes me back, man, because I get to talk about all the uh, all, all those guys that you just mentioned, but walking into a clubhouse and seeing their jerseys hanging with their names strewn across the back, I get excited. I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about walking back in there and seeing Giambi's name hanging on a jersey in his locker knowing I saw that. We were teammates. And now here he like it's just it's insane. I couldn't imagine what a fantasy camper would feel like sitting next to Dave Stewart, walking in and seeing that jersey hanging in their clubhouse. Incredible feeling, man. So I, I get stoked just as much as these folks that are coming in for the first time. Some of them for the twelfth time. I just got a text message from one of our campers who's been coming eleven years from Australia, County. Wow. So that's how far this thing goes, and we know. We know what's going on in Australia right now. So for folks to, to be able to find the time to, to make their way out here and still stay consistent, I mean, you know how much it means to them, all things considered. Yeah, the fires are just absolutely horrific, and it is just so sad. All the animals and the past, it's just so sad. So, but, but, but that just goes to show you that when you go to this camp, how the relationships get built that they're so strong that you got campers texting you all the time. Well, that's it. And, and I have, and I, I, I love it because, you know, I always jokingly say I've got enough friends and I don't like half of them, but uh, that's obviously tongue in cheek because if you love the game, there's a good chance we're going to be friends. Doesn't matter if we've met or not. And fantasy camp provides me that opportunity to meet fans from all walks of life, from all corners of the globe and I get to enjoy it with them on a level that you don't always get as maybe an announcer because I'm enjoying the game with the likes of the great Glenn Kuyper and the great Ray Fossey and maybe not necessarily fans who enjoy the game on a different level than we do. But for a week, I kind of get to pull that curtain back and really dive in with just absolute diehards. And, you know, talking about this season coming up, because, I, you know, this is our first show of 2020, and I'm, like, telling people, like, hey, you're going to blink, Super Bowl's going to be over, and we're, we're getting into baseball season. You know, quietly oh, yeah. one of the nice things about this offseason for the A's, there wasn't that much to do. Compared to, like, last year, they had to come up with a starting five for a rotation, which <laughs> sure. is unbelievable. 
Yeah, no, and, and I think what you're excited about, you know, I'm, one of the things, and, and tell me if you found yourself kind of kicking this around at all, but it is something that I pay attention to, not only covering our Oakland A's, but covering the game on a larger scale as well, is honestly, what kind of baseball are we going to get? And what does that do for teams' projections? You know, because I think the Oakland A's are in a sort of sweet spot. And we're talking about a club county who, if I'm, if I'm correct, was either like fifth or sixth, top five, top ten, I believe, um, in, in home runs as a squad, right? I think we were fifth. So you look, at the, you look around the infield, you know, you've got 30 at each corner, no doubt. Marcus Simeon as well, 25-30 pop capability. The outfield kind of speaks for itself with Loriano and Canna, Canna or Loriano getting regular at bats. You know uh, what happened with KD last year battling the injury, in my opinion, uh, from the moment it happened all the way through. That's, that was just a blip. So the A's don't really – they're not a club that is going to fall victim to or have that impact them on such a great level. So – I also think about the, the, the left-handed monsters that are there looming, ready to take this thing on, right? I mean, Manaya, Puck, Lazardo. You, you talked about the rotation. Those are guys, I mean, you got Fires coming back. I mean, Bassett, you know, uh, Mengden, there, there's going to be options there. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm as excited as I think anybody should be. And, and one of the things I want to tell fans about, too, is just having the opportunity to talk to some of these guys throughout the offseason county is it was as anybody I think that watched it was a very bitter and sour taste in the mouth after that one game after the wild card at home and it was it was an entire group of guys who just couldn't wait to get back to work so that they could really put the division in their sights and and knowing that that's their mindset I can't wait for the balls to roll out in 2020. And I can't wait to see what happens to the Houston Astros. And you obviously do a national Ooh. show. What have you been hearing? Well, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's anything anything new in terms of what I think a lot of folks anticipated throughout the industry, which is obviously there's going to be money involved. Folks are going to have their pocketbooks uh, opened up. There's going to be folks who aren't allowed to come around the game of baseball, whether that be – for a lifetime, whether that be for a long period of time, there's going to be somebody that's going to get their card pulled, if you know what I mean. Like, no, no, you don't get to come, and you're not allowed around any of this. Um, obviously, then you get into the business side, you know, draft picks, international signing money, things of that nature, things that just would impact a club from progressing, because that's how you've got to look at this, is, you know, I, I posed this question um, on my podcast with Barstool Sports, is what are you now angry at? Let me ask you what resonates with you on what level is Pete Rose still that bad guy. How do you feel about the Houston Astros, whether it's collectively, whether you choose to identify or for whatever reason, single out an individual, because that's not what it's about here. I think it's about, you know, a a bigger group offending collectively. And that's what has a lot of folks riled up here is it's not just sort of, you know, one, lone wolf acting this isn't just a rogue employee this is this is a collective group going to work here so are you mad at pete rose for betting on baseball to win baseball games are you mad at the houston astros team front office for cheating their opponents to what some would feel 
a world championship and division championships. Like the, and, and, and that's what's tough is because <laughs> are, are we discrediting all the hard work that these guys have put in uh, in the offseason? I know who what Joe Musgrove, I believe, was just uh, was just interviewed. He, he sort of talked about the work that they put in. And it's tough to think that you're taking away from their skill sets and their abilities and the, the axes that they each grind to prepare. But that's part of why you don't want to do that, right? Is because that cloud will now forever loom over those performances, whether you like it or not. And that's, you know what? That's that's just the road you hope. Yeah, it takes away your credibility. And that's just a reality. When you cheat, no matter what it is, and people find out and you get accused of it and they and they prove it, it'll take away credibility. And, you know, from the A standpoint, yeah, you're angry. You've won 97 games two straight years, and it just gets you into the wild card game. You know, what would it be like if they were just playing straight up at home? I mean, because like last year, they won 60 games at home. If they weren't cheating, mm-hmm. what would it be like? Right. Well, and, and, and it's, it's not only that, but you think about, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, we've had individuals that have, have shown the light on the impact for a player specifically going out there, getting your butt kicked. Now one of those coveted options as a young guy might get burned and you're back down in 3A trying to figure it out. And really what you can't figure out is the fact that they have cameras and signals. above. So, so those are, you know, the ramifications is just like a shattered windshield. It just spider webs to all corners. And, and you, you really, there's no stopping the impact. And, and, and you're right, Tony. What if, what if the Oakland A's, and it's not to say you know that everybody is cheating to some extent, but what if the Oakland A's were able to have a system like that in place and they were able to capitalize on that? Is there, you know, it's it's all about that even playing field. It's really tough. It's really to I think about the AL East, how things flip flopped. What happened with the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Yankees two years ago as compared to last year? Right, the Yankees really got. I don't want to say got pummeled, but they they didn't they didn't have success that they should have had against a well below average team. This year, they pummeled that team all the way to the best record in the East. So you can see what happens when teams take care of business. Teams do what they're supposed to do. Uh, it's just tough to think that they're playing. You know, they're playing with an extra card. They're playing with an ace up their sleeve. You mentioned the big three young left-handers: Shamanaya, AJ Puck, and Jesus Lazardo. Who are you most excited to watch in 2020? I think I'm most excited to watch AJ Puck. And it's, it, I think it's an excitement built around how he is going to handle and how he is going to progress through his first full season, provided everything falls into place. He will have all of his weapons at his disposal this will be the year that he's able to go through a spring training and, you know, go out there the first outing, rebounding a couple days in between bullpen. All of this is going to be new to him. This is the first year he kind of gets to do that as a big leaguer. And what that season unfolds like is, is what's exciting to me, because I think you've, you, you've seen when, when the stuff is there, when, when he's on with a fastball, I mean, it just, it's almost, he's, he's undressing people at times, Tony. It's unfair. And I look forward to 150 plus innings of that. That would be really exciting. There is no doubt about it. Not as exciting as taking at bats off of you down at fantasy camp. Uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't, there's, there's a couple people that are tugging on Superman's case. I, I maintain, Tony, I have a zero ERA over three fantasy camp seasons. So I'm at zero. You know, I don't know if that's, again, don't let your fantasy become a nightmare. Maybe pick on somebody else. But, <laughs> but yeah, there, 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 will be a, there will be a line. Don't wait. And I, I appease. I don't ever let the, let the crowd go home empty-handed. You are the best, my friend. Have a good time down in Mesa. All right, big dog. We'll see you. You see him on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. Former Oakland A, former All-Star, the great Bip Roberts, as I say all the time, one of my favorite guys watching play when I was a kid growing up. Bipster, happy holidays. How are you? Tony, happy new year. How you doing, my friend? You know what? This is our first show of 2020, so I'm like, you got to get Bip on. And Bip, I, I, <laughs> I, I know we're still in football. But man, I, I just I, I I'm ready to rock. I've been getting I've been reading all this stuff, getting my notes ready. I just I just before you know it, we're gonna be at spring training. I just got a really good feeling about this A's ball club this year. Yeah, I, I feel the same way you do, Tony. It's like, you know, you got one more year of experience with those guys getting better coming off last year's experience and and now we have some players that I think the entire nation are gonna be watching. So we're going to get that attention that we deserve, especially with Marcus doing what he did last year, having Chappie over at third, Olsen over at first, you know, and hopefully Chris Davis can bounce back so that we have the power that we had in the previous years from him. But I, I just think this is going to be an exciting team. I know second base is open. I'm sure that an exciting player will fill that position. And I think the infield just gets better. So, you know, when you look at the nucleus of this team, you know, and you look at the outfielders, the speed we have in the outfield from one to nine, this is going to be a very good team. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's cold out here in California right now, but I am really looking forward to the spring as well as the summer, definitely. For you as a player, when did you start getting ready and starting to really heat it up as you would have to spring training? So, Tony, when I got to spring training, I was ready, you know. They used to have to hold me back because they said I was getting too many hits down there. So I think guys mentally start turning it on right around Thanksgiving and start to feel good about themselves. I was actually uh, online one day, and because I follow Marcus Simmons, I saw he was working out already, and he had some nice swings. And I was very impressed early in, in, in the wintertime as to what I was seeing, which tells me if he's working hard right now, what do you think the other guys are doing? Because, again, he was always the first guy out, pushing the other younger guys, making them work hard. And so as a leader, that's what you have to do. And I'm sure if he was working out, the entire roster's working out because they want to keep up with that young man. And if you can keep up with that young man, I'm sure you're going to have a good year. So I'm looking at 2020 as a year where the A's shocked a lot of people. I know the West is going to be tough, but I think the A's shocked some teams to show Houston that they are the team to be reckoned with this year. Yeah, and we don't know what's going to happen with Houston and possible uh, things coming down from the commissioner's office. And you know, as a player, do you okay? <laughs> let, let's say let's say it has nothing to do with AJ Hinch or the players, and then let's say some suspensions and fines and stuff come down, and, and it's all front office related. Would that affect you as a player? Well, you know, Tony, it's still about seeing the ball and hit the ball. You can know what's coming, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I'd rather not know what's coming so I can react to the pitch that I see. The A's beat them anyway, so it didn't matter if they had signs or not. 
It comes down to execution on the field. I think that when you are trying to get the upper hand and you find a way to kind of escalate around the rules, I think you should be punished. And I think that whatever comes down on Houston, they deserve it. Because if it's true where they were using the camera in center field to get signs in real time and passing it to the hitters, then they need to be fired for that. Something has to be done so that no other team gets the idea and think they could skate around the rules. Because, you know, when you cheat, and I'll just use that word, when you cheat, you need to pay the price. The A's and the other teams seem to be doing things the right way and competing fairly. But Houston wants to act as if they're smarter than the rest of the league and cheat. And so if they get caught and it's found that they cheated, I hope they get punished so that they never do that again because it's 163 game, 162 games. And when you think about it, Tony, that's a long season. And to have one team at an unfair advantage is just not right. And I want to see that corrected. We don't have a New England Patriots in the uh, MLB, and we're going to correct that, I'm sure. Yeah, and the thing I think about a BIP is, is you're treading in some dangerous waters because – not every player is going to stay with the, your team. So when you, if you're doing stuff like this, there's so much player movement. Like, how do you think a player that then the next year goes to another team isn't going to tell that franchise, here's exactly what's happening over there? <laughs> you know, we have a word for that in the neighborhood, right? That's called snitch. <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to always have a snitch or two belly from the other team and let you know what the secrets were. And I, I think that's just a situation where you just can't do it because it's going to come back on you eventually. As you said, Tony, players move around so much. They're not loyal to one team or the other at times. And when they get traded, they're upset with the team that traded them. So they're going to tell all the secrets. And so if you're doing things that should not be done, then it's going to come out. And we see it's come out. And, you know, it's funny because when I heard about it, I went back and started trying to do research because I, I, I was hearing about uh, banging on the drum or banging on the wall or the garbage cans or the whistle. And then I heard about, well, when, when a certain guy hit a home run or walk-off, they didn't rip off the shirt because maybe it was something under the shirt. So, you know, I, I just don't like that. I, I think, you know, again, anytime you cheat, you have to pay the penalty. We saw that when we had the steroid era. Those guys that use steroids are now paying the penalties. And I think that anytime a team cheats, Something has to happen. I don't know if A.J. knew about it. I'm sure it may have. I know A.J. He's a good guy. He's a very smart kid. But sometimes people just they want to skirt around the rules, and sometimes it gives them an unfair advantage. And teams just want to win. The bottom line is wins and losses. So you want to win more than you lose. And sometimes they say if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But in this case, I think they got caught. You know, I think about Chris Davis. The A's were fifth in home runs last year, and he had a down year after three straight years of hitting 40 or more home runs. What do you think this offense will look like with all the younger guys being one year better and if you could get Chris Davis backing, back to being Chris Davis? Well, you know, every season you want to keep things in perspective. You can't bring back last year, and you can't do more than you're capable of doing. It's about these guys, again, finding that happy medium, being relaxed in the season, and playing their game. Not worried about what am I supposed to be doing, but just handle what's happening on a daily basis. And I, I think they have some players who are very good at that, separating the future from, you know, what you're supposed to be doing today. 
Um, last year we had a few guys that struggled a little bit at times. I think they felt a little the pressure, but I think those were growing pains. And so now you can carry that over to this year. And what Chris Davis, what happened to him last year was after the injury, he just wasn't the same. And I think he got the contract, and I think he put pressure on himself. I think now he has the time, he had the winner to relax, exhale, and get back to what he does. And I think as long as the players do what they're capable of, they're going to be fine. Because, again, Tony, you know, Marcus doesn't do what Chris does. Tappy doesn't do what Olsen does. They all are separate individuals who have to do what they do in order to make the lineup. So as long as they keep it in perspective, all I have to do is play baseball and do my job, then I think they'll be fine. Because, again, you can't ask for too much more than they did last year. These guys played well last year. They just fell short again in, that, in the, in the uh, play-in game. So I, I just think, again, the experience helps them understand the ups and downs. I think the experience helps them understand what the league is about. And now when they have rough times, they won't last as long. Maybe Chappie is not in a prolonged slump or so, so to speak, like he was last year. Maybe he, he gets out of that in two or three games instead of 10 or 15 games. So I think the experience is going to help these guys. It's just a matter of getting back to spring training and getting together as a unit and pushing forward as a unit. You know what it's like to be a young player and pressure to to perform to stay on the roster as you were a Rule 5 pick by the Padres. Franklin Barreto has had a lot of pressure. Second base is wide open right now. Whether, you know, inside the organization, you talk Barreto, Mateo, Noisy, maybe the second baseman for the A's is not even in the organization right now. But going into spring training, if you could give advice to Franklin Barreto, what would it be? It would be to work on the things that you were not good at. My problem was I couldn't use the entire field as a 22-year-old Rule 5 guy. It took a guy like Gary Templeton to take me aside that winter and break down my mechanics, rebuild them, and then I could stay inside the baseball and use the entire field. The pitchers in the major leagues take advantage of your flaws. They used to beat me away. When I learned what I needed to learn, they couldn't beat me away anymore. That gave me confidence now to know I belong in the big leagues. He has to get to that point where he has no weaknesses and they can't exploit that weakness. And if he can do that, he will have the confidence to go with the abilities that he has. He's got great ability, great speed. He's got pop for a little guy. He can hit the ball consistently with average. But when you get up here to the big leagues, they exploit your weaknesses. And now you have to figure out what it is you can do to stop them from exploiting that weakness. And he has to be able to go to the plate and say, I'm prepared for whatever you bring me. Let's go. And that's the only way you get confidence. Yeah, it's so tough with young players, and especially, Bip, when you don't get consistent at-bats, right? Like you come up, you play one day, you go 0 for 3. Then you sit two days, and then you get back in, and now you go 1 for 4, 0 for 4. It's like at some point, if you're going to believe in a young guy, you got to say, we're going to give you every shot in the world to, to win the job because technically their offense is so good you could actually let him struggle a little bit before the light goes on. Yeah, but see, now, if he continues to struggle, then he continues to fall into that deep black hole that he's been in for the last few years. He has to make sure that he's solid at the plate because when you go to the batter's box, it doesn't matter what they've taught you, what you, whatever. 
you still have to hit the ball hard consistently. And that's something he did not do is hit the ball hard consistently. If he gets up there every two or three days, but he's hitting the ball consistently hard, then he's still developing confidence. But if he's striking out because they're exploiting his weaknesses, then he's not going to develop that confidence. He's going to end up back in AAA again because, again, you have to get the job done up here. So I just think that, yeah, if you have great guys around you, and I had guys like Roberto Alomar, Tony Gwynn, Joe Carter, Jack Clark, I mean, so many great guys around me, I could learn from what they were doing. And so if you can continue to learn every day and the, 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 the manager and everyone can see that he's continuing to get better and he gets better, now he has a chance to become a starter. But if you continue to go backwards, striking out, making errors, making mental mistakes, you're not going to be that guy. But that all comes with having confidence in yourself. And so my second year in the big leagues, after I was back in AAA for two years, to learn and understand you have to play more positions than one, you have to hit the ball hard. The second year, I fully had the light switch on, and the light switch never came off. But it's based on the muscle memory and the mechanics that you have at the plate to get positive results. And he has to take away the idea he has to get three and four hits a game. When in his mind, he needs to just say, all I have to do is hit the ball hard. That's all I have to do is hit the ball hard. Takes the pressure off of him. And so if he can do that, learn the little tricks of the trade, to play with yourself mentally, then physically you will overcome those little maybe negative habits that you have. But the bottom line again is, as Tony Gwynn would say, you do what you do at the plate because that's the only way you get better. And so if he can do what he's capable of doing at the plate, it will make this team better. All right, before we get out of here, your training net, let everybody know about it as this is the perfect time of year for it. Oh, my God. The Oakland A's have it now. They have it in spring training, and it's called a cutoff, man. And it's going to make those infielders better because you can now throw to a target. You can get extra ground balls, and within 15 minutes, you've got 60 or 70 ground balls, and now you can get off the field. It makes the outfielders better because now they can hit the cutoff, man. But now you're throwing it into a net, and after you're done, all you do is go and take the, the bucket from the back of the machine and <laughs> and walk away with it instead of, throwing it, somebody dropping it on the ground, and afterwards picking up hundreds of balls. So it's, it's one of those machines that it allows you to get better in, in a shorter period of time with less picking up baseballs, which is something we hate to do as ball players, and then walk off the field feeling like you've learned something. So it's a great machine to teach you muscle memory to throw to target. And where can we get it? You can get it now at West Coast Sporting Goods. You can get it online. At teammates sporting goods, teammates, uh, teammates, uh, sporting goods, or you can get it at West Coast Sporting Goods. So there's a couple places you can get it, but right now it's on the floor at West Coast Sporting Goods out in San Leandro. All right, Bipster, we'll be calling you soon. Be well. All right, man. You take care of yourself. And great talking to you again. Now joining us, he's one of the best managers this game has ever seen, and he is going to be there in Concord on Saturday. The great Bruce Bochy is with us. Boach, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. You know, when, when, you, when you got somebody like Tony LaRusso, who you've known a long, long time, you competed against him, you've known him for years, when he gives you a call, it's that baseball family where you guys are always about taking care of each other. It is, it is. And then, of course, uh, you know, with Tony, I mean, I have, you know, such a deep respect for him, but, uh, and a great friendship. And, uh, you know, that's, 
You know, that's all it takes is a call. And, and you know, I'm going to do what I can to help out. And, you know, it's a great cause, uh, you know, what we're doing here. And uh, he has a huge passion for this and, you know, for me to be able to uh, able to help out. Hey, I'm honored and I uh, look forward to it. It should be a great day. Look forward to sitting with Buster and talking uh, with him, catching up. And, uh, but, you know, helping, you know, for a great cause and, uh you know, saving uh, so many animals that uh, need to be rescued. And so it's, uh, it's a special day. And, um, and we're doing it for uh, really great, uh, just a great guy that's done so much, you know, for ARF. Yeah, we we're talking with Tony on, on Monday and, you know, their new program where they help out people who come back from the Middle East, our, 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 our troops and our soldiers who, who, who need a lot of love and a lot of care. And the program saying saving lives at both end of the leash, not only is the animal, but but also the soldier. And so, you know, what you're doing on Saturday means so much to, to a lot of people. You know, and this is what makes it even uh, more special than, you know, the fact that uh, you are uh, saving lives at, at, you know, both ends of the leash, you know, with, you know, these veterans come back that, you know, a lot of them have, you know, PTSD, uh, they need some help and, uh, yeah, I think uh, we've all had pets, and uh, and and we know how much uh, um, you know love that can bring, and uh, and just the comfort that uh, you know a great pet will will bring somebody. And so you know, it's just great how this is working out. They're saving these these uh, dogs and cats, and now you know they come back and they help out uh, these veterans. And we should do all we can to help them, you know, with them serving our country and all they do for us. So. It's just a great concept, and I just love it. And uh, it's uh, and yeah, well, hey, I'm proud of Tony with uh, how he's come up with this. And uh, you know, I I think it's the the first facility uh, nationally that actually you know has the veterans they can come in and actually uh, train their own dogs. You know, I think about your career. It's a long career as a player, and then of course as a manager. What's this offseason been like for you where you don't necessarily have to get ready for that major grind that starts in spring training? Yeah, it's all good. Uh, I've been good with it. I've been uh, spending some time with the family, uh, done some, you know, things that I normally probably, you know, probably wouldn't have done as far as uh, travel. Uh, um, but it's great to have a free schedule. Uh, and well, you know, just to be able to come up and uh, help Tony out. You know, I, I I uh, can do things uh, now when I want. Uh, I will still work with the Giants. I'll still be doing stuff in baseball, but I just won't quite have the same schedule. And uh, so I've said this: I'm you know hitting the pause button for for uh, you know a while here, and uh, it's been good. I'm spending time with my family, and my grandkids. I was just up in the Bay Area for two weeks over uh, the holidays and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, but, you know, I guess I won't know how I react until we get to spring training. It's going to be different. Well, well, you are going to be managing Team France, right? I am. I am. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I don't know who, what, who or what my team is, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, trying to get uh, enough guys to qualify uh, uh, from France. But the tournament's in Tucson um, in March. Uh, it's uh, – um, a 10 day deal. And, uh, so we're uh, just starting to get it all, uh, uh, together and, uh, getting the rosters, uh, set. So, uh, my son will, will pitch for me. My brother's going to be my bench coach. And, 
so it's going to be a family thing because uh, uh, my brother Joe and I both live in France. So, you know, it's a way to get back uh, on this end too. Uh, if we can promote baseball in France and help develop, uh, you know, some players there, then uh, you know, I feel like I'm giving back. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you guys are going to have a great time. That's going to be a lot of fun. And I just wanted to get your opinion on some of the things going on in baseball right now as the investigation continues with the Houston Astros and the electronic stealing of signs. Now the Boston Red Sox are being accused after what they did in 2017, and they were punished for the Apple Watch incident, but now supposedly they were doing it in 2018. What's your take on stealing of signs electronically? Well, I, I think it's going to happen. I mean, when you have the capability uh, uh, like you do now more than ever, uh, you know, I think you know, there are going to be players or teams that uh, uh, they're going to try to get the edge. And it's just, it's just the nature of the beast here. And uh, I know baseball is trying to do all they can. Uh, there's an eight-second uh, delay on the TVs now in the clubhouse. So, you know, you couldn't see a pitch and, uh, you know, right away uh, – Related to the hitters, so you know they're doing things to, to combat it. But uh, you know this goes with the territory, and uh, and it's up to uh, every club. I've always felt like this that yeah, it's our job to hopefully make our science complicated enough to to you know where they can't get them that easily. But when you're able, you know, to look at uh, the signs the way they are now, you know, through uh, uh, you know, replay and and um, other sources, and that's being covered now too. I should add that it's actually somebody watching that replay room, so they can't go in there and stare. Uh, and you know, it's it's just going to happen. But uh, hey, you know, you lay down stiff enough uh, penalties, uh, that that's going to slow down that process. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know, obviously, you, you competed against the Oakland A's last year. Back-to-back years, the A's have won 97 games. I know you have a great relationship with our skipper, Bob Melvin. You know, you lose two straight years in the wild card game, but now you're bringing your core back. Your pitching's as strong as ever. If you could give advice to the A's going into this year, as this is a year for them to really bust out, what would that what would that advice be? Well, I guess just keep doing uh, what you're doing. 97 wins, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, you got to look at uh, you know what I've been through the last what three years. It's uh, and so that's impressive. Uh, you know uh, what they're doing there, and you know you get to that wild card game, and you, know, you got a it's a little bit of a crap suit. Uh, you got to have you know a pretty good pitcher out there, and we've been fortunate that Bumgarner uh, he's thrown two shutouts in those games. But yeah, you know, it's it's just it's a tough deal, and uh, uh, but yeah, I don't. I, know how you change anything you're doing what you're supposed to do and that's uh went over 90 games to get there and uh you know best way is to uh, win your division that's a tough uh, division there with houston in it now i'm sure uh, and you know the angels are, are going to be, uh, get a lot better here too so i'm sure that competition is going to uh, even be stronger this year for them but they, they have a good club a great foundation uh great leadership uh Melvin, I just think uh, he does a terrific job. And uh, so, you know, that's there's nothing uh, they should do any differently. You mentioned your guy who won so many big games for you, one of the great postseason pitchers of all time, and Mass and Baumgartner. What is it going to be like for you when you turn on that TV and you see him in an Arizona Diamondback jersey? 
Uh, it's going to be strange. No, no getting around that. Uh, you know, I, I'll get to see it in spring training, uh, actually before the season. So, you know, that, that, uh, helps soften the blow of seeing him change uniforms. But, uh, you know, I'm glad, you know, that he's happy. Uh, this man, you know, he did so much for me and, uh, of course the giants and, uh, but still, it's always strange to see one of your guys uh, leave. But it's part of baseball, and uh, you know that's that's a choice that he had, and um, and he's happy with it. So I'm happy for him. Bruce, thank you so much for the time. You've always been one of the classiest guys, and you've always been good to us. We appreciate it, and have fun on Saturday because that lineup. You know, with you and your old catcher, Buster Posey, and Mark McGuire, and Reggie Jackson, and Dennis Eckersley, and Marcus Simeon, and Matt Chapman. Boy, you guys got a big lineup on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, Tony does a great job, doesn't he? And, uh, you know, it's, it's no no surprise. That, you know, whoever Tony calls, I mean, they're, they're going to be there for him. Uh, that's how much uh, he's loved and respected, and uh, that's why I'm there, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Bruce. Take care. Be well. All right. Thank you. We'll see you. By the way, you know I read all your stuff. Uh, This article on college baseball and me being a former college baseball player made me feel good, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, it's just college baseball. No, college baseball is better than you think. And I I really think this was one of your best articles uh, in in a while. I mean, they're all good, but this this one – Everybody around, I mean, they were referencing this on MLB Now on the MLB Network. This was really good stuff. Oh, yeah, thank you. And I and really what I wanted to say was, like, you know, in terms of tech and personnel and just know-how in terms of, you know, player development, you know, maybe not every, maybe not your average college, but, like, the top-end colleges right now, the top-end universities have outstanding tech. And, there was something about a university that you kind of, when you read that, maybe you said, oh, of course, because they have, they have professors and they have grad students and they have undergrad students that are just willing to work, you know, and want to put the time in and, and make a name for themselves. So you have all these undergrad students as resource. You, at Wake Forest, you have a PhD who's the head of a lab, um, you know, with, with all the resources behind her uh, from, a, from a university hospital that wants to study pitching injury. So, you know, they, Wake Forest and Mizzou and, uh, and Vandy in particular, um, you know, they've really got the best tech, better than a lot of baseball teams. Uh, and they've got really good, uh, you know, research and they know how to use it. And they, they mimic uh, per the best pro teams in terms of how it works, how, how the workflow goes and who talks to who. And, um, you know, it, it kind of works like a, a pro team. And so, you know, a lot of those places have had, I've seen the results. So you've seen Vandy win it all last year, for example. Yeah, and, and as I was reading your article, and maybe a lot of baseball fans may not understand this, but you're talking about two SEC and one ACC. We're talking about these these schools playing these conferences that make a boatload of money off their athletic departments. Uh, they they both have their own networks. There's so much money in college football, college basketball, and it filters to all the different sports. So when I, you know, your article makes such sense. When I think of like Wake Forest, when all of a sudden your partner, you know, these universities have hospitals. They have their own hospitals on campus. So when you're when yeah. you're when you're partnering, that's something that really professional sports teams can't do. 
you're partnering with the with the hospital and some of these hospitals on campus are some of the best hospitals in the country and then you have all these these students who are trying to become doctors they start working for you for free and helping you out and i think the thing for me what's so different is that they can look at all this data and they know how to use this data to where i wonder all these baseball people do they really know exactly the equipment, the technology that they're working with, and do they truly know how to implement it? Yeah, well, that's, I think that's a growing problem right now in pro and in universities. That's just the thing that happens anytime there's a new sort of trend. And, I, you know, I don't want to call tech a trend. We're, you know, it's going to be here forever. But, you know, when, anytime there's a new um, a way to differentiate yourself, there's a bunch of people who come to the forward who kind of speak the language, but maybe don't know it all, uh, don't really understand it, or speak the language and know the tech and don't know how to coach. Uh, because coaching itself is a skill where you make a connection with the player, you know, you, you listen to the player, you understand what does the player need specifically, not just I have these ideas and I'm going to round down your throat. So, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an art to coaching, uh, there, there are people who, who know how to speak the language, but don't necessarily know all of the details. Uh, so there, you know, that's going to be filtered through in the next few years in pro and in college ball, where some of these coaches that are being hired now, and I, and I'm all, I'm pro like hiring these forward thinking, progressive tech, you know, data guys, I'm, I'm all into it, but there's going to be a separation of the guys who can really coach with that knowledge and the ones who just have the knowledge. You know, they, when they were talking about your article on MLB Now, Al Leiter is talking about his son, who is a freshman at Vandy, and he starts talking about with all the data that's out there, these young players, whether it's really young minor leaguers or the young kids in college, to them, this is their world. They understand it. It's not like older players now where you're like you're like giving them you're giving them this data and they've got to figure out whether they like it or not. These kids are growing up with it and can't get enough of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it has a little bit to do. I think Leiter said something about, you know, they're on their phones, they live on their phones. This is something to that where, you know, the iPad that the coach has, you know, looks like their phone, looks like the stuff they look at, and the visualizations are familiar to them. Um, and also, you know, they kind of grow, you know, I think – uh, you know, younger people are now more into data. You know, they, they have jobs where they have to prove if they say something at a, at a meeting, they have to prove what, you know, what they say with data. Um, and, and so, you know, when they look at the coach and the coach says, you know, I think you should throw your slider this way, sometimes it helps if the, if the coach can say because, you know, X, Y, and Z throw their slider this way, they have the same arm slot as you, or because look at this visualization. Uh, so a lot of that helps. But also, you know, I think it really helps – if you're trying to make your slider better, you know, the whole, the whole key is to, to, to feel good about the right slider. So you're, trying, you're throwing slider in the bullpen, slider in the bullpen, and then the coach is sitting there next to you, and he goes, that was a good one. And, and, and you want to say, okay, good. That's the good feeling. I want to repeat that good feeling. I want to do that again. And that's the time-old process of coaching. That's been, doing, that's been going, happening forever. What you can do with data, though, is you can see it. And so Trey Harris, who, who hits at Mizzou, he says, I love seeing the greens and the reds on the track, man, after I hit. And he gets that good feeling, and he knows that was a good hit because, you know, I saw the green and the red. I saw the 2,200 RPM. I'd never heard a hitter say that. But, you know, I saw the 2,200 RPM on, my, on the, the hit that I hit, and I felt good about it. That's what you want. You want, the, 
They want the immediate feedback where they say, oh, that was a good slider because it had the right spin rate, but that was a good slider. Let me try and get that that feeling again. You know, as a pitcher, you're always messing with different grips. And the thing that I love uh, uh, about all this data is if you throw a really good pitch and the data tells you that that's your best, you now know that's the right grip. And the reason why I'm saying this is because you only have so much you can throw as a pitcher off the mound. It's not like a hitter who can take endless swings in a cage, endless swing on a field. There's only so much you can work on as a pitcher to preserve your arm. So it's almost like if I can find the right grip and faster, then I know this is the one without putting more wear and tear on my arm. Yeah, the the most advanced player development teams in, in baseball, in pro baseball, what they have is a plan that goes to the coaches, and it says this pitcher, you know, he has these four pitches. This is his current movement on his four pitches. This is what we think we want from his four pitches in terms of movement. Here are the two or three grips and mechanical solutions. Here are the two or three cues that you could try with them. So the coach can stand next to him. coach doesn't show him the whole thing. The coach can say, hey, we're working on this slider today. What we want to do is think about getting around the side of it. Try that first. Uh, that wasn't right. Okay. We want you to think about ripping through and really just spinning it. Just think about spinning it. Oh, that was the right one, you know? Um, so, yeah, you're right. There's only a limited certain amount of pitches you can throw. I think we've sort of come to the limit when it comes to the nine or ten pitches that, that, that people throw. Uh, but within those nine or ten pitches, there are better and worse. And so they just really have to, you know, optimize their pitch mix the best. It's kind of like Frankie Montas finding that splitter. You know, Emo is telling me, Frankie Montas is, is dominant. For the front two fingers are dominant because he's been throwing fastballs and sliders his whole life. Well, if your front two fingers are dominant, let me throw you. Let me show you a split finger. You know, because you you kind of throw those out of the front two fingers, but it kind of works like a changeup. And boom, we got Frankie Montas. And then you start going through some of this technology. I never even heard of dart fish. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm going to talk to that guy a little bit more, ex-fatty, who has a dart fish. But I think it has something to do with uh, training uh, players to tell what a pitch type is earlier. Um, and I think it's something where, like, either they black out, they, they, they kind of they show you, uh, like, three seconds of a pitch or something, or one second of a pitch, or a millisecond, whatever it is. They show you a little bit of the pitch, and then they have to they tell you to try and guess what type of pitch type it was. Um, so it's a little bit about like how to train people to recognize pitches better. This stuff is all fascinating, and, and, it, and it truly is changing the game. But the one thing I will agree with Al Leiter is this, and Al said this when they're once again they're going over your piece. He goes, in the end, you still got to get outs. Like you can sit there and talk about how your spin rate, you still got to go out there and get outs. And that in the end, our business is all about wins and losses, so I don't think you can get – don't wrap your – like the end-all, end-all is all of this. In the end, you still got to compete, right? Yeah, no, I'm really fascinated to see, for example, what Madison Bumgarner does uh, with his new team in Arizona because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he's just the creation of uh, that park in San Francisco and, you know, his uh, strikeout rate is down and this and that. He's only a two-pitch pitcher, that blah, blah, blah. But in terms of competitiveness, uh, in terms of command, in terms of, you know, just, you know, honestly, red assery. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he goes out there and he just wants to win, and he has. You know, he has done it time and time again. 
Uh, and I kind of think that you got to bet on that a little bit. But there's kind of a, a continuum. The younger you are and the less that you've proven, the more I want to know your velocity and your spin rate. You know, the more I want to know about your max exit, exit velocity. I want to know about your raw skills. The longer you've been in the league, the more you've proven to me. You know, like, I don't think it's – when you draft Marcus Stroman, it might matter a little bit how short he is. By the time Marcus Stroman has pitched four or five years in the big leagues, it doesn't matter how, how tall he is. You know, he's shown you he can do it. So there's, a, there's sort of a, a push and pull there where, yes, the end all is getting all the outs, but if you're trying to gather the clay to make the best, uh, you know, to make the best team, like sometimes the, the raw stuff uh, matters a lot, and that can be kind of shaped into what you need. You know, last year at one point we looked into Chris Davis and said, what's going on? What's different? One thing that was different for him was definitely launch angle. When you looked at the three years of hitting 40-plus home runs, the only A ever to do that, and then you look at what happened last year, if you looked at it, did, what differences did you see? Yeah, it was the exit velocity and launch angle, and I think it was the hip injury. If you just look at the two graphs for his exit velocity and launch angle for the last four years, um, you know they have peaks and valleys, but the valleys are mostly when he got hurt. And what happened last year was, I don't know if it was because he's older or because the hip injury was pretty bad um, or what it was, but he never had the peaks that he had in, in previous seasons. He had that big valley when he got hurt, and when he came back, he was okay, but he'd never had that white-hot, you know, here come, you know, 15 homers in the next 40 games or whatever, you know? So it's like he never really took off and I and I blame it all on the hip injury I think it was the hip injury and I think probably you know when I look at him mechanically too I saw some things that he was doing differently with his hands um, and, and I think he was basically just trying to deal with the injury he was trying to you know trying to uh, just do as best he could uh, given the fact that he's hurting a little bit so I, I think that he I'm not sure that we'll get vintage you know 247 average and 45 homers again from him this year uh, but I think it'll be a lot better than last year and I think he's he's actually maybe the, sec the player that's the second biggest uh, difference between what he did last year and what he's projected to do next year, the second biggest bounce-back player in baseball. Can you imagine what the A's offense will look like if he does make a full comeback? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was trying to figure out who I think will hit more homers, Matt Olson, uh, Matt Carpenter, or Chris Davis next year. And that, that's a fun thing to try and figure out. I mean, if they all, you know, hit near 40 homers, that's, that's a pretty awesome trio right in the middle of your lineup. Well, I, I to, to me, Matt Olson is a budding star. I, I I could see him being a 45 plus home run guy, especially if we're sticking with these baseballs. And obviously, he's the best defensive first baseman in the American League. You can make an argument. I mean, him or Freddie Freeman may be the best in the game, but that's always a big question, and which is probably really really tough for evaluators this off season is. What ball is going to be in play for 2020? Oh God, yeah, yeah. Especially with the the, the postseason, it seemed like maybe they were using 2018 and 2019 balls at the same time, and uh, you know, you saw the ups and downs. You saw a few, you know, long hits that you just assumed it would be homers because of how it was last year, and they weren't. Um, so, you know, I definitely think there's uh, some of the unknown there, and it's 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 annoying for people who are. Uh, who's looking into it because it doesn't, it's not a necessarily a thing where, okay, well, everybody will hit more homers, everybody will hit fewer homers. You know, a ball that flies more rewards opposite field homers more than pull homers. 
So, uh, you know, I think Chris Davis in particular uh, hits a lot of oppo homers when he's going well. And uh, some of those won't be there if the ball is different next year. But I just tend to assume as best I can that, you know, it's going to be the same next year. I don't know. I can't assume any different. Um, and one thing I did want to mention, you were talking about the defense and Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman, the new defensive numbers for StatCast came out today. And Matt Olson is not only the best defensive first baseman in baseball by these new uh, metrics, he's like a top five defensive player, period. And, so and, him and Chapman were both top ten, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, we saw that before we came on, and we I haven't been able to read it because the, the, basically it was they only did it for the outfield, now they're doing it for the infield. And I've been saying this, and I'm on record. If I had to bet the next MVP for the Oakland A's, I'm putting my money on Matt Olson. No, nah, I'm putting it on Chapman. <laughs> we should have a we should have a bet. Beers on me. Beers on one of us. All right, you know I'm into that bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean they're both great, and you know what's great is that they kind of pick each other up. They've been playing together forever. You know they really love each other. They're very different. Olsen is kind of mellow, and uh, Chapman is is just works harder than almost anybody I've ever seen. Um, and and uh, you know Chapman and Simeon sit together really well because Simeon is better to his left. And Chapman uh, helps him out on his right. Uh, that's something that came out in these numbers today. So, you know, this team just really fits together really well. They, they did a good job of putting it together. All right, it's winter time. We're dead of winter. We're in January. What beer have you switched to here in January? I'll do some more stouts in January. The problem is it's, uh, they're a little bit heavy in terms of calories and stuff. So what I'm really into are these new stouts that come in cans. So, you know, more and more of the stouts are coming in cans, and you can just drink 12 ounces of it. And, you know, I don't have too many people in the household uh, that are going to share a uh, share a whole stout with me. So, um, you know, I, I, it's hard to kind of remember right now off the top of my head who does this. But if you go to your local uh, place, there's, there's more and more stouts in cans, and that, that helps you sort of keep the calorie count down a little bit. Eno, you're the best. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon, and Happy New Year. Always great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he is the pitching coach for your Oakland Athletics, the best in the business. Emo, Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, Happy New Year to you guys and all the A's fans. What uh, what we got to be thankful for and what we got to be uh, looking forward to a, a great season this year is going to be awesome. You know, I was just talking with Billy Bean uh, in the offices about how fast this offseason is going. And, it, it, you know, we talked about how when, when you don't think your team's going to be very good, the offseason goes for a long time. But when you have expectations and you think you're going to be good, the offseason goes really, really fast. And I think it's got to be the same for you. Yeah, you know, it's just you, you, you're looking up on a, on a Sunday and the next thing you know, it's, a, it's the following Sunday. I mean, it, it is coming <laughs> fast. Uh, you know, starting to put together the uh, spring training program for all the pitchers. They're going through their off-season program, keeping in touch with them the best we can, and uh, it's going to be an exciting time, in my opinion. You know, I, I you think back of what baseball was years ago when when players actually had jobs in the off-season, the big leaguers, and then they would come to spring training to actually get into shape. 
Now these guys, obviously, they don't have jobs in the offseason. Our, our pal Marcus Simeon just got $13 million today in arbitration. Good for him. So these guys don't need to work in the offseason. But they, they work out a lot. So how much do you want them to work out? And how much do you actually want them to, hey, let's slow it down and rest a little bit. It's going to be a long season. Well, I think I think that the, the you know some downtime is good, and 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 I'm only talking two weeks maybe, but I want these guys up and around moving. I know they've been very active in their strength and conditioning and their arm care programs. Uh, we have a 10 week throwing program now. We, we were at eight weeks, and I, I thought you know a lot of guys want to get going early. They're excited to do new things, so uh, we started up uh, around December 1st this year, ramping the guys. Uh, up and get get going they're going to throw eight bullpens on their own before they get to spring training but i want them active you know i, I think uh there's there's a difference between going out and playing catch and there's a uh going out and pitching you know the, the pitching is the wear and tear but the, the playing catch part for me is the conditioning aspect yeah because uh you know it, it, you want guys being ready, pretty much ready to go by the time pitchers and catchers report because you guys get right you get right out of the gate throwing bullpens yeah, we'll go. Uh, we'll go bullpen two days off, bullpen two days off BP, and then we'll start lining up guys for games. You know, we we got a split squad game uh, day two of spring, and then I think the following weekend we got another split squad where uh, some of us are going to be going to Las Vegas and playing. So uh, you want the guys ready to go, but you don't want them coming in maxing out their velocities and being too amped and too ready because it is a long season. You know, I think some of the the younger pitchers are the ones you got to keep your eye on in the off season and in early parts of spring training because they want to come in and impress you and and make the club during spring training, come out throwing 97, 98, and, and uh, you get a good impression. But for me, a lot of the impression came during their body of work last season and uh, being able to watch the young guys uh, through our video system and the technology that we have now and. Um, you know, I know what they can do. I, I see what they can do. And spring training, I just want to make sure everybody gets through spring training healthy uh, and, and starts the season ready to go. So there's going to be an extra roster spot, a 26th man going into this season. But we haven't heard the determination of whether it can be a pitcher or not. Let's just say it can be a pitcher. What kind of guy would you like to add to your staff for that 26th slot on the roster? Well, from what I heard, Tommy, uh, you cannot have more than 13 pitchers on your staff. Is that and for then, sure? Then, I believe so. And then when rosters expand in September, you can go up to 28, but you can only have 14 pitchers on your staff. So, uh, you know, we've been carrying 13 pitchers for the last five years on the staff. And, um, you know, the, the one thing when you have options, you can kind of interchange a lot of guys depending on uh, the series and, but, you know, if those 13 guys are pitching uh, to their capabilities, those are the 13 guys you want. You start with 13 as, as a coach. I want to stay with that 13 uh, because that's my job to keep these guys in the big leagues. And then, my, you know, I want the guys in AAA pushing the guys in the big leagues. But from my understanding, uh, it's uh, 26 man, but you can only keep 13. Because the one guy I really think about is Chris Bassett. He is out of options, and I think he's a special arm. He's one of these guys that – Tommy John wasn't, you know, he had a little bit of a hard time coming back from Tommy John, but now that he's back and for the first time last year felt like himself again, 
pitched some pitched some great innings for you, won games as a starter, and then was unselfish and went to the bullpen. It's like you got like almost a six-man rotation. How do you envision Chris Bassett for the A's? I don't want to lose him. How do you envision him for 2020? Well, like like you said early early in the uh, in in your talk there, Bassett to me uh, turned the corner when he bought into the team. Uh, you know, I know he had some struggling times coming off of Tommy John and starting and relieving. Was he going to be a starter? Whether he was going to be a reliever? And I to this day, I still like preaching to the guys: go out and be man enough to pitch when you have the baseball. If if we throw an opener. And you're coming in behind him. Hey, you got to deal with it. You got to go out and pitch. If you're the opener, you got to go out and pitch. All I want you to do each and every day is tell me, can you pitch? Yes or no? And that's it. And then my job is to determine, uh, you know, how many pitches I think you should throw uh, based on your previous outings and all that stuff. But when Chris Bassett decided, hey, you know what? And he's even told me, and he's even, we talk about it all the time. Just pitch me whenever you want. I'm ready to go. And that's the attitude that, that, you know, I'd love for our pitchers to have. Just give me the rock when you want me to have the rock. I'm going to go out there and compete. And when Bassett did that, but he found himself in the rotation because we needed him in that rotation. And he did go out and have a heck of a year. So I think the important thing uh, that I love about Chris Bassett is he's, he's the swing role. You know, he's a guy that I feel comfortable personally me, you know, giving the ball at any point in the game, you know, early, late, middle, close if he had to, if if Liam comes in and, and has a couple days where he, he's gone a couple days in a row and he can't close, you got Bassett, you know, you got Bassett maybe stretching the middle of the game depending on what we're going to do with Puck and Lazardo's innings, you know, that they didn't have as many innings as we'd hoped for last year. So you kind of got to monitor him a little bit this year. Can he go long? Can he go short? I think Chris Bassett can do that, and that's what he's going to bring to the table this year. By the way, I love that mentality. I just love the mentality of, listen, we don't need to have roles. Not everybody has to have a role. We need to get 27 outs every single day. Whenever you get the ball, just go out and get me outs. (laughs) I love that mentality. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, this is what we did. You know, well, I, I hear this. Well, they—he's never done that before. And I'm like, he, this is how we grew up playing baseball. If you were ever a high school baseball player and you started a high school baseball game in a tournament, two days later, or maybe even the next day, hey, I threw 117 pitches one night and pitched the next night in the semifinals of the state championships because I, you know, we won the game the night before and we were losing the next day. I went to the coach and said, hey, I, I can go. Now he, he only let me finish up the inning and get us out of that jam. But this is what, you know, we did growing up. We, we showed up at, at our travel ball games or our travel ball tournaments. And, the, hey, you guys ready to pitch? Yep. Okay, you're starting. Hey, you be ready. Hey, you might start game two, depending on how game one goes. And I think eventually uh, in, 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 in baseball, you may see some of that coming to where, hey, we're just going to all build up to as many pitches as possible. Now, some guys can't build up the 50, 60 pitches because they just physically can't take it. That's I think we talked about that before. That's why guys are relievers. You know, why don't we start such and such? Well, some people don't know that he starts fatiguing, his arm starts hurting after 45 pitches. But if we build everybody up to their max distance of pitches, you may see uh, so many different combinations because, you know, 
sometimes the mentality is, you know, win today and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And then when we get to tomorrow, we'll worry about it. Yeah, uh, earlier this year, being with the Raiders down in Los Angeles, taking on the Chargers, Darrell Worley was a career cornerback. At one point, all the safeties were hurt for the Raiders, so Paul Gunther said, you need to play safety. So here was a guy who was a career corner playing safety. I mean, you got to do what you got to do to win games. I mean, for God's sakes, Magic Johnson at one point played center in the NBA Finals. Why? Well, because... They needed him to play center. So, I mean, it's like I, I really do like that mentality. I want to get into today, there was an interesting article. I know you, you got to glance at it from our, our buddy Eno Saris from The Athletic talking about how there's certain college baseball teams, and people have to realize there, there's certain conferences like the SEC and the ACC and certain schools, they're just cash rich from football and basketball and all the donors and their networks and all of that. And some of these schools have been able to beef up their technology. And I know one you're going to go look at, and I find it very interesting, the relationship, Wake Forest Baseball, and the relationship they have with their actual hospital on campus and all the pre-med students that are working with the baseball players and taking all the data that they're getting from the Rapsodos and all these different technologies and working with these players and trying to keep them healthy. I know soon you're going to go up there and check this out. Yeah, you know, uh, our, our uh, area scout here in North Carolina, Neil Avent, went to school at Wake Forest, and um, he's setting up a day for us to go up there probably next week or the week after. I uh, wanted to go during All-Star break when I was home. I'm about 70 miles from Wake, but uh, he's going to set something up, and, and we're going to go uh, look at the lab. You, you know, though, uh, uh, Tony, that these labs aren't new, but the technology is new you know asmi american sports medical institute with um uh james and dr andrews who does all the law of the tommy johns and and glenn dr glenn fleisick down in birmingham alabama they had a great pitching lab for the last 20 years and former A's pitching coach rick peterson was involved in that and i've been able to uh speak at at a couple of the asmi conventions but you know it, it the technology has definitely changed because you know I've used Sony cameras in plenty different angles and used a software called Dartfish to create my own little pitching lab. But at Wake Forest and these college programs, I mean, they're getting so in-depth, they can monitor body movements with the cameras and turn the body movements into stick figures. And, I mean, it's just getting really high-tech that um, it's from a, uh, a health uh, based issue. I won't say performance because the performance still always has to happen on the field. And, you know, there's a lot of people saying technology will change performance. Well, technology just gives us the feedback to what's going on. The player actually has to change himself to have better performance. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because Al Leiter the other day, talk about this article by Eno, they're breaking it down on MLB Network, and Al Leiter's son is a freshman at Vanderbilt, and they're one of the, the the top technology schools out there for college baseball, and they have their lab, and everybody knows how good Vanderbilt baseball is. And 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 he was talking about his son and and all the technology and learning everything, and, and Al Liger says, you know what, I don't care what your spin rate is. At some point, uh, the only thing that matters is if you get outs. You can have the greatest, you can have the greatest numbers you want. You can have all the data you want. Do you get people out as a pitcher? Well, you, you know, I'm glad you said that because 
you know, I, I, I kind of put it at a, uh, as a pyramid, you know, and at the top of the pyramid is outs. You know, the number one thing that pitchers have to do is get outs. If you don't get outs, you're not going to be pitching. And that's, that's at most levels of all of baseball. Now, in the minor leagues, it's a little bit different because we're trying to uh, get a good arm maybe to throw strikes, to go to the big leagues. But if you go to college and you're, you can't throw strikes, then you're not going to be pitching. And, um, you know, I think sometimes a, a lot of people are taking this technology and they're putting the, uh, for lack of a better term, the cart ahead of the horse. You know, the horse carries the cart and buggy. And uh, it, without the horse, uh, that cart and buggy doesn't work. So, you know, I went to a travel league baseball game. I was telling this story uh, to somebody else a couple of weeks ago. I went to a travel league baseball game and the kid came up to me afterwards and says, how's my spin rate? And this is a true story. And I said, I don't know. The ball was off the backstop. Uh, so, I mean, you, you, you do have to have, now look, technology. I love it. And everybody knows that I love it. It's not the technology. It's, being able to take the technology and formulate the opinion and formulate the game plan and understand the technology. Look, the guy could have the greatest spin rate curveball at 3,200 RPMs, but when he needs to throw it for a strike, he bounces it or he hangs it. For me, that's not a good breaking ball. You know, our eyes will tell us what's a good breaking ball, but the technology will tell us, hey, this guy has the makings of a good pitch. Now we just got to get it better. What do we do with that? We got to get him to throw strikes with it. We got to get him to be in the zone, out of the zone. Because if you look at the best pitchers in the big leagues, they actually don't throw the ball inside the strike zone. They throw the ball outside the strike zone and they get hitters chasing the ball outside the strike zone. But they do have the ability to throw the ball inside the strike zone when they have to. And uh, if you're getting a lot of these kids who can't throw the ball inside the strike zone when they have to, to live on the on uh, on pitches outside the strike zone, they're just going to be walking guys. I mean, th that's what the best in the world do is they get you thinking it's a strike and it's a ball, but when they need a strike, they throw a strike. You know, I think about this technology, and of course, back when I was playing in college baseball at San Jose State, we had none of this. I, the the thing that I would have liked about this is that. You know, as a pitcher, you, you, you can only throw so much. What I would have liked about it is the feedback, the instant feedback for a pitch, and you would know this grip, this feel, this is right, and you wouldn't probably had to throw so many pitches off a mound. Am, am I kind of right on that from the standpoint of this technology shows you this is my best breaking ball, now I know. I don't have to throw it a bazillion times to figure it out. Okay, you're right. So let's get into that a little bit. What we got is uh, we have tools now that we can measure the spin rate of the baseball, that can measure the height release of the baseball, the spin direction or spin axis of the baseball, uh, horizontal release, vertical release, anything you want to know uh, really about this baseball. We do have a, a tool. There's what's called wrap sotos out there, track mans out there, uh, flight scopes out there. Uh, Major League Baseball is now moving into, I believe they're using StatCast. I think last year we used um, TrackMan. Now we're using StatCast along with Hawkeye. So these measurements, though, are a little bit different depending on the system that you're using. So what we do is we throw a pitch. We look at all the spins, uh, the spin rate, the spin axis, which is the direction of the ball, 
uh, coming out of the hand, the horizontal movement, the vertical movement, and we have a slow-mo camera that we're, we're uh, watching the position of the hand. So then after that, it just starts to become trial and error. Okay, so we saw here's where your fingers were when you released the baseball on this pitch. This is the attributes, I'll call them, that you created uh, with this baseball. Okay, the attribute of break, uh, vertical break up and down was not good. The horizontal break was not good. Let's try to move your fingers or your thumb or, or do something a little bit different, and let's see what happens. Boom. They throw the next pitch, and we look at the data and the uh, vertical break. We got a little bit more drop to it. We got a little bit more horizontal movement, left to right or right to left. Then we might say, bingo, there it is. Uh, can we repeat that? Now, that's the most important part, too, because you can, and, and we call this pitch design. You can go in and you can pitch design a guy, but if he can't constantly repeat and repeat and repeat, then you're just losing certain things. But, you know, these technologies have a lot of feedback to us. And that, like I said, that's what it is. It's feedback. But that doesn't tell us uh, whether we're, we're going to be good or not or whether we can get outs or not. It just tells us this is where our range of pitches are. When did you become an engineer? Well, you know, you know, I just always wanted want to be ahead of uh, the not ahead of the curve, but understand what is going on in this game and make sure I'm doing my studies ahead and just keep on getting ahead of everybody. And maybe I'm not ahead, but I'll I'll, I'll keep reading. I keep doing my homework every day um, and, and making sure that you know I know what's going on in this game and I know what people are teaching, uh, but. You know, a lot of people are are so consumed about spin rate and not outs anymore. It's it's almost like we're 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 on a golf course and hey, what do you do for a living? I'm I'm a professional golfer and and I'd say no, you're not. You're you're on the long driving tour. You know, you just want you just want to hit it as far as you can. You know, so I mean, and and the analytics uh, and the people who are trying to get into this game. Uh, can use the analytics, but they have to use common sense too. That we are not long drive hitters. We're not linebackers. We're we're major league pitchers. So we have a lot to incorporate. Like I said, I, I love this stuff. I love the analytics. Uh, I, I love the technology, but it, it's applying the technology and getting these guys to be better. Too much information to some guys is is, is not good. Um, you know, some guys go out there and, and they can they can get outs and, and they know what they're doing. And then all of a sudden, what am I going to do? Come in and, and start changing the verbiage. You know, um, we used to have what's called numbers. Now we have analytics. Uh, we used to pitch to um, soft contact. Now we have to uh, uh, pitch to low exit velo. We used to have uh, direction and finish. Now you have to call it extension rate. Uh, we used to say that guys had good stuff, and now now these guys want you to say he's got a good skill set. So uh, for me, a lot of this is just changing the verbiage, uh, the numbers or the analytics, whatever you want to say, have always been here. Um, uh, you know, you say you, you, you guys didn't have some technology in, in college. I bet your, your coaches had eyes that could see some spin. 
and they, they formulated a game plan. So they use their brain as the technology per se. But now we can quantify all this stuff even deeper. I mean, we got the Magnus force, which is the, the pressure that keeps the, pushes the ball in the air when you spin it or when you throw a top spin ball, curveball that pushes the ball down. You know, I mean, there's so many different verbiages. There's so many different words out here with all this new technology. But what, what I what I always and will continue to remember is what doctors do for a living is they practice medicine. What science is to me is it's evolving and always constantly changing. So you can't go from point A to Z in, in one day. You know, you got to go from A, B, C, D. You got to you got to have the structure and the guidelines to get to a certain point. If I'm A to Z on all this stuff, you got to have trial and error, and that's what I've been doing for 15 years. I mean, I think I told you last time uh, I put a I put a heavy ball in the swimming pool in 1984, and I played catch with it. I it- mean, weighted balls have been around forever. You know, and something that's been brought up, and I'm not sure if I agree with it. I know they do it a lot in college. But calling pitches from the dugout, like every pitch, there's been rumors that that could be coming all the way to the major league level. Do you like that idea that you would be sitting there calling every pitch, or do you still want that to be the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher? Well, I think think there's – yeah, you know, this is professional baseball. Guys should be calling the catchers should be calling the pitches. The pitchers should be shaking off to what they do. Now we do have a wristband. We do have a game plan going into the game of what each guy should be doing to each hitter, and uh, and they, and they're pitching accordingly to the game plan. But uh, you, you know, for me to sit on the bench and call pitches, you know, if you did that, the pitchers still have to have the ability to shake off the catcher. The catcher should still see what the, the, the hitter does, whether he's moving around in the batter's box. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to call in a game. Uh, you know, pitchers might tell you in between innings, hey, I don't have this pitch today. I don't feel good about it. I don't even want to throw it. You know, so, but he might throw one in warm-ups and say, you know what, I got it. I mean, so, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to keep it traditional, but I think the wristband that we use and the game planning – can help uh, help the catchers and the pitchers in that process. What do you got going for the weekend? Well, like I said, I'm going to go up and uh, and do that camp to, and work with some kids. Uh, I'm going to see, uh, hopefully, uh, a Jamie Schultz, a uh, pitcher we signed to a minor league contract. I'm going to hopefully run into our good guy, Mr. Chris Bassett, going to come up. Uh, he's I'm two hours from Raleigh on one side. He's about two hours from Raleigh on the other side. So hopefully I get to see him uh, one of these next couple of days. And then uh, next week I'll see Daniel Gossett uh, in Charlotte. And then I'll run into uh, Grant Holmes down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So, you know, I, I'm going to keep myself busy trying to see some of our guys that live in the area. Emo, you are the best. We will talk soon, my friend. Be well. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live, he's the best in all of baseball. He has the number one podcast with baseball tonight. Uh, We listen to it every single day. We steal from it almost every single day. And, of course, what he does for uh, Sunday Night Baseball and ESPN.com. The great Buster Olney is with us. Buster, happy holidays, happy new year, and thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. 
Well, before we get into any baseball, obviously we know about your connection with Vermont, where you always say you wouldn't bet the farm in Vermont. You're going to be doing a special uh, uh, appearance with uh, with our with our minor league system, the Vermont Lake Monsters. There's a special event you're going to be a part of on January 25th. That's exactly right. Uh, on January 25th, it's you know it, it, for, for folks who love baseball, they're going to be. Uh, having a an event in Burlington, uh, you can go to the the Lake Monsters website to see all the details of that. But it's going to be myself and then Galen Carr, who's uh, works in the Dodgers front office, lives in the Burlington area area, and uh, Boot Shambi, play by play man. Uh, I'm friends with him, work with him. Galen's got to be friends with him, so we coaxed him into coming up into Vermont <laughs> in the dead of winter time to talk baseball. And uh, we'll be part of the panel. We did one last year. It was a whole lot of fun. Uh, you know, obviously in Burlington, a lot of baseball fans and a lot of Oakland Athletics fans. You know, before we get into your top ten, because A's fans have been loving it because A's are all over it, uh, you guys at ESPN.com have talked about, and since you're going to be with the Dodgers executive, a lot of people in L.A. are down on the Dodgers. We've actually been joking, calling them the uh, Tampa Bay Dodgers. Uh, Dodger fans are not thrilled about not having a big splash there in L.A. How do you think things are going there for Andrew Friedman? Well, I think they're going better than what they, they look like on the surface because, as Andrew has always done since his days with the Tampa Bay Rays, he's looking for the best possible deal. Now, they were in the Garrett Cole chase. Uh, they were in the conversations about Anthony Rendon. They determined early on that Rendon probably wasn't going to be a fit, but they're so well positioned to take advantage of one of these big stars that are out in the trade market. And it wouldn't shock me at all if, you know, they're the team at some point, and I don't know if it's going to be before spring training or during the year where they wind up with, uh, you know, a guy like a Mookie Betts or a Francisco Lindor They've had conversations with the Red Sox and the Indians. I you know, was talking to sources the last couple of days. They say they didn't really gain traction. But at some point, the Red Sox are going to trade Mookie Betts. At some point, the Indians are going to trade Francisco Lindor. So I think that they're, uh, you know, the fact that they haven't had a lot of fire and fireworks early in the offseason, I'd say give them some time. They're the Dodgers, and they always seem to go out and add a lot of good players. Well, we've been loving your top ten list, and obviously there's A's all over it. And at some point here, coming up soon, you're going to release your teams. I got to think you're pretty high on the A's since you got so many A's in your top ten positions. Uh, absolutely, and I and I do feel like, especially since we've seen the Astros sort of sit back and not do a lot this winter, that the gap between the two teams is really closed. And let's face it, you know, the everyone's wondering. When these penalties come down for the whole sign-stealing scandal that the Astros were involved in, and I think they're going to come out next week, everyone wonders, you know, how big of a hit is that going to be for the Astros organization? You know, will Jeff Luno, their general manager, will he be suspended? A.J. Hitch, their manager, you know, will he be suspended? If you told me that someone were kicked out of baseball for a year, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, there could be draft picks, there could be fines. But it does feel like that the Astros are probably and rightly distracted by that. But that means that, uh, you know, the Oakland with its you know great core of young players, them getting better, the fact that the Astros lost Garrett Cole and they didn't really do a lot to add this winter, 
I think Oakland's got a real chance to win the American League West this coming season. And let's stay on that theme because now the Red Sox are being investigated again for 2018 after they were popped for the Apple Watch scandal in 2017, which then the commissioner said, they've promised me they'll never do it again. What are you hearing about the Red Sox? Yeah, and it was interesting to hear the reaction from players about you know, what was alleged about the Red Sox, that you had players looking at a video monitor and then going into the dugout and then passing on information. That, to the players I talked to, they felt like that's different than the real-time stuff that the Astros were doing, where the Astros supposedly had someone who was watching the catcher as he gave signs and they gave the audio signal to the hitter, the banging of the trash can. This, according to some players is probably more commonplace. So, I, you know, I don't know if that necessarily is going to be something that will wind up uh, with the Red Sox getting absolutely hammered. The one thing I would say is, you know, Alex Cora, he was part of that 2017 Houston Astros coaching staff. Now he's the manager of the Red Sox. He was there in 2018. You do wonder, um, you know, if he's going to wind up being in the crosshairs of the commissioner because he was involved in those both those situations. You know, getting back to your top ten list, once again, which has been fabulous, with Olsen at first base at five, Chapman number four at third, uh, Loriano fourth and center. I wonder, though, how you felt about Simeon, because just a few years ago he had the wrist issue, he led the league in airs. What was it like for you to look at and go, wow, I'm putting Marcus Simeon number two in all shortstops? Yeah, because I can remember calling up David Forrest uh, when, when Marcus was early in his career and saying, do you guys really think it's going to work out? Because I, like everybody else, you know, would see the box scores every day or watch him play and he'd see the errors. And he told me flat out, he said, you know, we really believe that he's going to get better. Um, and at that time he was telling me how Ron Washington was continue to tell him, look, I, I really believe in this kid. And that was the voice in my head all year this year, because everything that they were telling me back then has, has come to fruition. And when I reached out to evaluators with various teams and asked them, you know, hey, give me your top three shortstops, give me your top five third basemen, that's those sort of questions. When I talked about the shortstops, boy, I, 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 it was impressive to hear all the kudos that Marcus Simeon got for how the type of player that he's become. And look, us in the media, we're all focused on Mookie Betts because he's a former MVP. He's a free agent after next year. I feel like we need to start talking about Marcus's situation, you know, agreed to the, an arbitration settlement with the, with Oakland, but he's going to be on the front burner too in terms of what his future is going to be about because he's become that good of a player. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, and he means so much to the organization because he's a local kid. He grew up here. Yeah. He went to Cal. His wife was an athlete at Cal, and we've we've had his wife tell us down at the winter meetings in San Diego, they want to be here. They want to raise their kids here. So that's always an interesting situation when you have a player even kind of say, I may even take a hometown deal. That kind of puts the pressure, don't you think, on David Force and Billy Bean if you're talking about building a new ballpark and building a new the, the organization the right way you got to ink a guy like this up I, I would think so now I do think that when and a parallel situation is definitely with the Indians and Lindor where you have a, a team that you know typically has a smaller budget in Cleveland and I think internally they're probably at peace with the idea look he's going to get paid big money by somebody and we're just not going to be able to afford that so I do think if Marcus is going to stay it's got to be him driving the, 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 the deal. 
because uh, I can't imagine that if he actually got market value, that that's something, when you look at the history uh, of the A's and, and what they pay players and where their budget is, I can't imagine him, or imagine the team paying him market value based on how great he was last year. You know, we love Josh Donaldson. He'll always be a guy that we remembered as a, as a terrific A, and he's out there right now, and, you know, the rumors of who's still interested, what deals are on the table, are the Nats still in, are the Twins in, does he go back to Atlanta? What are you hearing about Josh Donaldson? I, I, most of the people that I speak with think in the end he's going to wind up back in Atlanta. Uh, you know, that was his team that he rooted for growing up. Uh, you know, Alex Nisopoulos, the general manager of the Braves, of course, was the general manager of the Blue Jays when they made a deal with the Athletics to bring him over there. Um, they have an excellent relationship. Josh had a great year for them last year. Um, from what I understand, there's, there's a sense that he's not in a big rush to make a decision. I think he's you know, willing to let the bidding play out. And he's indicated, his camp has indicated the Braves that before he signs anywhere, he's going to give them a chance to match. You know, considering where the bids are, four years and probably over $100 million, I got to believe that in the end he's going to wind up back in Atlanta. And another third baseman, which I, I, I was shocked when it happened. Now I kind of understand a little bit more with Arenado. You know, when, it, with the, when a guy has an opt-out clause coming up, you get a little worried, but you sign this deal and this player, you say you're the face of the franchise. He stands up there and he says, I want to be a, a Rocky for the rest of my career. And then one year later, all these rumors, it's 50-50 whether he's going to be traded. What do you make about this mess with Arenado and the Colorado Rockies? Uh, it absolutely is a mess. And we don't know exactly because no one's come out on the record and said exactly what's happening. But let's face it, it's one of two potential situations. One that less than a year after the Rockies gave him that deal, they're looking at it and saying, boy, we don't know if we can afford this. And we just talked about Lador and Simeon and, you know, with a, with a team that doesn't have a huge budget. And maybe that's what's going on with the Rockies. Or it's Arnato who spoke very passionately at the, in September and talked about how he wants to win. He hasn't come out and says he wants out of Colorado, but if that, in fact, is what's driving it, i got to tell you, if I were the Rockies, I'd be a little bit frustrated. Because I'd be like, look, we made a commitment to you, and we want you to give a commitment to us as we move forward, considering the financial investment we just made in you. Now, he controls the situation because he's a full no-trade clause. You mentioned the opt-out clause, and this is the worst possible time for the Rockies to be trying to trade him because Josh Donaldson's available after our, uh, Rendon was available, and uh, you know, Chris Bryan is available in trade, and I had an executive say to me that he thinks the perfect comp for this situation was what happened with Giancarlo Stanton, where in the end the Marlins had to give away an MVP caliber player eating money to move him to the Yankees because Stanton controlled the situation. That's, a, I think, what's going on with Arenado right now, and it is terrible for the Rockies. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, before we let you go, as I mean, we're we're right around the corner. As I was telling you before we brought you on, our first broadcast is going to be February twenty second. So baseball is about to start. What's the one thing you're you're looking forward to the most for the twenty twenty season? Boy, I think uh, the question for me is first off, I think the Yankees are the the most well rounded team on paper that we've seen in twenty years. And knowing, you know, how baseball is, 
I'm really curious about who emerges to challenge them. You know, will it be the Astros, who obviously have a lot of great players? Will it be Oakland? Uh, will the White Sox take a big step forward after all the moves they've made? Uh, will the Red Sox, you know, pull the plug before the season starts, or will they try to challenge them during the year? I, look, I, the, I, I can't remember a time when there's going to be more of a prohibitive favorite to win the American League than what we're going to see in the Yankees uh, going into this year. And, and the question is going to be who's going to challenge them. Buster, I got to tell you, we're all jonesing for your podcast, Baseball Tonight. Uh, you, you, you've gone silent here. W- when do we get it back every single day? Every single day it'll come in the middle of February once we get into spring training. You just dropped one the other day. Had a great conversation with A.J. Ellis, the longtime catcher, about how that position is changing so dramatically uh, with the electronic strike zone coming on board. All of the nuance of the position will become obsolete. I I think it's an incredible landscape changer that we haven't really been paying attention to yet. Well, I got to tell you, as I tell you, we take from you all the time. After this interview, we are going to be playing that here on the show and discussing it. Plus, we miss Sarah Langs. We miss Himbo. We want to get the band back together. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be doing that. You are the best, Buster. Keep up the great work. We'll be reading you. We'll be watching you. And, of course, listening to the podcast. Be well. I appreciate it. Good luck with the athletics. Dennis Eckersley is with us. Eck, how are we today? Good, good, good. <laughs> and I, What's happening? Uh, you know, we're just trying to help Tony out. You know, Tony's a, a great friend of the program, and you know everything that he and his family has done for ARF all these years, and you're going to be a part of the event and a lot of great names, and it's always a big deal, I know, for you to help out your old skipper. Oh, yeah, totally, yes. You know, I've been involved with him for so many years, you know, since the, the inception of the whole thing back, I think it was 1990. So he's gone, he's come a long ways with all that. And, then, you know, now implementing, you know, working with the veterans uh, really has taken off. And I think this is the new building that's going up uh, in care of that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the veterans because we had Tony on Monday and we had Bruce Bochy on Wednesday and we talked about this, you know, the program when our soldiers come back from the Middle East and how they need they need help and they need care. And it's about saving lives at both ends of the leash, as Tony told us, saving the dogs right. and saving the soldiers. I mean, what what an amazing program. It really was. I mean, it really is. I mean, if the fact that, uh, you know, the passion that he has for the animals to begin with and, and to be able to give back and help the, the veterans was a, you know, beautiful blend, if you think about it. And uh, Tony, you know, he's come and gone. I mean, he's been at, you know, away from the Bay Area, managed to, you know, Cardinals for so many years, and he's just been so involved, you know, outside of the Bay Area. But this is his baby, uh, you know, back home here in, in Walnut Creek. And what does it mean for you to come back home? And, I mean, obviously you're a Bay Area guy. Yeah, you know, it's weird for me is, you know, because I've been doing TV with the Red Sox for so many years now. I still am. But uh, I just had uh, two grandkids, you know, twins, born about 12, 13 months ago. So I'm back in the Bay Area for the winter. So it's, it's kind of strange, really, coming back here. Uh, but I love it. You know, it makes me sort of yearn to come back to the Bay Area, which I probably will in a couple of years. Well, maybe get you coming back doing some Ace television. Yeah, it's not out of the question, you know. 
How great! So, would, it, it would be great. You and Ray Fossey on TV together. My God, it'd be incredible. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I love Ray. Ray's a good friend of mine. You know, I did some games with him back in like when I first retired in 1999. You know, something you don't really forget. Hey, Greg Papa was doing the games, and he had to go do some San Antonio Spurs games, and and the Fossey moved over to the play-by-play side. So that was an experience where I didn't know what I was doing back then. So uh, a lot better situation right now, you know? Yeah, we were in Cleveland earlier this year, and we were talking about you because they have that promotional video before every Indians game. And, of course, it's your no-hitter there in Cleveland, and Ray Fossey is catching. They play that before every game. Yeah, you know, that's why we'll always be attached, me and Ray, you know, for that game. Seems like well, got over 40 years ago, but Ray and I are really good friends, and God knows he's been doing the games for so, so long. I mean, he's just such a big part of the uh, A's and, and all of this, you know. You know, I think about uh, the Red Sox with you right now and just kind of a, a weird off season. as, you know, you have a, a management change and you bring in Hein Bloom and now you got Mookie Betts who uh, cashed in pretty good today with $27 million, uh, avoiding our arbitration. But still the talk about moving him because he's going to want to test free agency. Uh, you know, Boston's a big market town. Boston spends a lot of money. It's just what do you think is going to happen with Mookie? Well, first of all, I don't think he's going anywhere. I really don't. I, I mean, for me, it's kind of hard because I always, you know, the first time I saw Mookie Betts and he got better and better every year, he's like Willie Mays. You know, as a kid, that was my, the guy I watched. I mean, he really, you compare him to Willie Mays. And how do you get rid of somebody like that, you know, in a big market team like that? Well, it comes down to does he really want to play for the Red Sox? I mean, ultimately. And, you know, and they're going to have to let him play it out. But, you know, it's not that simple to work a deal into, for a rental. Somebody's going to give up players for him and only have him for the end of the year, and then he goes somewhere else. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Problem with the Red Sox, they're trying to reset, you know, their payroll, and everybody and their brother knows it. So it's, it's hard, you know, to try to get, a, get rid of a guy like David Price and have, you know, somebody pick up that salary. You know, you got to eat a lot of that. So it's just a tough situation. When you're telling everybody that's what you want to do. Meanwhile, if they keep both of those guys, they may not be the best in the East, but, you know, they'll give them a run for their money. Yeah, I, I mean, as you, as you just mentioned, you, you, you compared him to Willie Mays. And, and, you know, when you charge the amount that they charge for tickets in Boston and you know the amount of money that they – I mean, in New England, the amount of money that they make, it's just hard to believe you let this, you know, one of the great talents walk out of the building like this. It's just hard to believe. Right, I know. So what do you do? I mean, ultimately, you can give him all the money in the world, but if he doesn't want to stay, it's his choice. And that's why he's playing out, and I don't blame him. But, you know, it's hard for me to hoot on that organization with the kind of money that they've spent over the last 50 since they've taken over. You know, they've won three world you know, championships, right? Four. <laughs> Hello. And um, they spent a ton of money. They're just trying to uh, – I, I don't know. I mean – it's like the Yankees. The Yankees even took a step back a couple of years ago. Even, even you know, the, even the Dodgers did, right? They reloaded mm-hmm. yeah. a couple of years ago with somebody that, you know, the smart guy they got from Tampa Bay, too. So maybe that's exactly what the Red Sox are trying to take a page out of, you know? Um, you know, go with the youth that knows, you know, can try to manipulate this, you know, situation. It's not, it's not an easy game to play nowadays, you know, uh, with with rosters and money and it's it, – you know, and they got the impending 
you know, bargaining agreement coming up too. So there's, there's a lot of things up in the air. You know, explain to the audience just how different baseball is in the Northeast, especially with Boston, to where even though the Patriots have won all these Super Bowls and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, still the Red Sox, it's a thing that's 365, it's year-round. Just talk about what the passion is like with that fan base. Well, I found out I found out 40 years ago. I mean, I came over there, and I got traded in 78. And then I found out all about the Red Sox, you know, and about that whole area. And it's just been wild, especially since the winning that's taken place with the World Championships. I mean, you know, not to, you know, to say, take anything away from the fans in the Bay Area, but there's nothing like back east. You know, the Yankees and the Red Sox, just, there just isn't. I mean, to me, I, it's like the Mecca, you know what I mean? And, you know, they've had to compete with the Patriots for a long, long time now. And they've, they've taken, you know, a back seat to them. But still, it's all about the Red Sox. When you live there, it's day-to-day. That's all that matters, you know. It's intense. It really is. And, and I love it. I mean, that's the only way to, you know, to me, I'm so passionate about the game. That's the way I want it. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, for for years, there's been times where, like, the Red Sox would come in and, you know, they get off to maybe a little bit of a slow start. And, you know, a lot of people here would say, ah, it's early. It's never early. They expect you to win and win all the time. But I think about your teams in, in the late uh, 80s and when you guys won the championship. Eck, you guys were like rock stars. You were like what, like, the Chicago Bulls were with Michael Jordan. Wherever you guys went, everybody wanted to be a part of the A's. You were like a traveling Roadshow. What was that like back in the day? I don't know. When you're living it, you don't realize it as much. You know, I think when you go back and reflect on it, you go, oh, wow, that was that was serious. That was special, you know. But when you're doing it, you can never let it get away from you. You know what I'm saying? You can never get too, um, too uh, confident more than anything else. So we were. I mean, we came to town. Um, and everybody knew we were coming to town, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know I'm proud to have been an A, no doubt about it, because I know how special that was. It's not that simple to do that, you know. We had a we had it going on for about five years, and you know, with a club like with the Hosses that owned the club that lost money, if you think about it, right? They just, I mean, they kept that team together as long as they could, but it's a different game nowadays. Yeah, well, I mean, you got Jose Canseco, you got Ricky Henderson, you got Dennis Eckersley, you got Mark McGuire, who, by the way, Mark is going to be there tomorrow in Concord signing uh, with you. I mean, just the just the, the personalities that you guys had. Everybody just seemed to have this larger Hindu, everybody had this larger-than-life personality. Yeah, it really was. It was not an easy club to, to uh, manage. I mean, that's why I think Tony gets kudos for – trying to keep that club together. I mean, because there's so many different, I mean, so many egos on that club, you know? And for everybody to come together for the greater good, it's not that easy, you know? It's just not. But we had the talent and we had the management. And um, I just know how special that time was because it's just, you know, I played 24 years and we only won, I only won one championship. So I know how precious it is. And believe me, you know, I appreciate that time in my life. Yeah, and and obviously with the earthquake, and I know you guys had the, 
you guys had the situation. How much do we celebrate and all that? How nice is it, though, now how the A's have really reached out and celebrated the 1989 team? Because it was an awkward situation back then for you guys after you won. Like, how much could you celebrate? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I don't. When I look back, it didn't matter about the celebrating because if you know, if you were here here at that time, it was awful. You know, those those two weeks, and um, there was just sort of a gloom over the Bay Area. So us winning was, you know, we at least had a, a moment in time to make everybody, you know, um, you know, appreciate it. But uh, you know, looking back, you know, the A's have done a lot for the for the you know alumni and all that sort of thing, and they've you know, kept all those teams in mind, whether back in the 70s, those three years that they won, you know, there, there's a lot of history here. And um, that's why, you know, you know, the talk of getting a new stadium, even at one point talk of leaving here scared me to death. You know what I mean? So hopefully everything works out here. And, and they've got such a good club now coming off of two great years. I mean, maybe they can make their mark this year. They just had just such, such tough luck. In, in playoffs, you know, let alone, you know, the one game playoff they lost twice and game fives that they've lost. I mean, they've got to, you know, luck is on their side, hopefully going forward. You know, let's end on this as, you know, there's so much with, with, with the data that's out there for pitchers now and with all the high-speed cameras and the rap Soto and everything and really huh. being able to define your pitches, how do you think this technology – I mean, you had a great career. You're one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But how do you think you would have utilized all this technology? God, you know, it's beyond me. I, I've, I've been trying to get, you know, sort of get with this whole thing. I, I try to think, you know, what, how would they do me? Would they try to design my breaking balls better? I mean, I'm saying I couldn't – you're not going to change my arm slot, right? So I, I wonder what they would do with me. Maybe they'd tell me, guess what? Your fastball's not playing. <laughs> the spin rate on your fastball's not playing that well, so don't try to go upstairs with it. But I, I guess what? They would make you better. I mean, you know, that, that's what it's all about. You know, the more information that you get. So um, I don't know. I, it, it's good and bad, you know, at the same time. Because sometimes too much information you know, locks you up, you know? So, ah, I don't know. It's just, I'm just trying to catch up right now with all this new stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, we all are. Eck, it's always, yeah. it, it, let me tell you, for, for, for all A's fans listening, it's always an honor to have you on the program. We always appreciate it. Enjoy the event tomorrow with your old teammate Mark McGuire and all the great names that are going to be there and, of course, helping your skipper, Tony Larusa. It's going to be a great event tomorrow. Have fun, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.